Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined as always by the man who has just finished getting ready for the pod by dancing around naked to T-Rex. Thankfully, <laughs> the webcam was off at that time. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? Having a bit of hot love earlier on, were you? <laughs> yeah, well, I was just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on what I hope is the back end of a yet another bloody cold. Uh, well, it's, I'm sure listeners with children can uh, sympathise if they bring these things back from their, from school. My, my wife works with at a school as well, so it's like a triple threat in our house. So my voice is a wee bit uh, is a wee bit deeper than usual, but I'm I'm soothing it with this uh, rather tasty German IPA called <laughs> <laughs> called <laughs> Drunken Sailor, which is uh, I mean other IPAs are available, but it's uh, it's very pleasant. Very pleasant indeed. So oh, very yeah. good. Well, um, um, just to, because obviously we don't want to get into trouble, so I'm having a, a Brewdog IPA at the mm. moment, so other IPAs are available, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> very yeah. good. If, if we were on the BBC, we would have to say, because of the unique way the BBC is funded, <laughs> it'd be yeah. impartial. It's a, it's a bastard at that time. I'm the same. I'm just recovering from a cold as well. Uh, I, I think on the last episode, I was it was just starting, because I right. when I was editing, I was like, guys, my voice sounds a little bit deep. I didn't have yeah. to put any extra extra bass on my voice um whereas <laughs> it's kind of just coming towards the end now but yeah so, wait wait yeah, wait good. a minute wait a minute you wouldn't usually put extra bass on your voice would you when you're yeah, the... sometimes i put a little bit of extra bass well, on both yeah, of our voices yeah. greg yeah so you really yeah uh, i did see you huff i did see you huffing um obus nose spray in the last uh, episodes that's yeah. how you got out yeah. i usually I, to be fair i usually do huff this during um uh, a podcast record just because it's nice to clear the airways and make it yeah. nice, my little albus inhaler i uh <laughs> i do have uh yeah use one of them regularly so uh but yeah it's a bastard having uh coming off a cold but never mind we're both on the mend that's the main thing uh yeah. is everything else good with you all is well i'm just looking out the window we've been they've threatened us with uh some rain today in dubai mm. um it's quite late in the year for rain, so it does looks like it might. Hopefully, it won't upset our interweb connection. If it does, um, but you know, we'll just deal with it if we, if we have to. Well, we'll look forward to that weather update as the episode <laughs> progresses. <laughs> but, but, but before the weather, uh, should we have a look at the news and see what's been happening in Scotland in the last couple of weeks? Cue the jingle. <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen in Scotland in the last couple of weeks that has caught your lovely cold-ridden eye? <laughs> yeah, the lovely bloodshot, weeping eyes. <laughs> um, so it's it's been a bit, it's not been a great uh, couple of weeks for news. Mm. Um, well, not not the sort of news that we like to we like to cover on the on the culture as well. I did find one that is sort of upper street that comes from the Mail Online. Uh, the kind of headline is: My neighbour won't stop peeking in my window when she takes her dog out. So I wrote her a brutal note. But was I too harsh? So this is an angry tenant. She's revealed uh, how her neighbour keeps kind of peering in her window when she's walking her dog. She's posted on Reddit because she said that she's exhausted all options to try and get the neighbour to stop. They're thought to be from Scotland. I think because she's posting under the name uh, you slash tenants 
dash n dash gross. There's every chance. <laughs> there's every chance that uh, that she is. Or at the very, if she's not in Scotland, then she's Scottish. And um, she explained how her neighbour takes her dog out to go to the toilet, and she can't help but pee in her window, having a good look at me going about my daily business, whatever that involves. They explained no amount of civil requests for her to stop escalating rapidly to mouthed fuck offs seemed to have stopped <laughs> seemed to have stopped her so i taped a small orange post-it note to the window saying in capital letters kindly mind your own business when the woman spoke to her father about what she'd done he made her question her actions because he said it was out of order but other reddit comment uh, commenters were on her side Explaining how the neighbour is able to look through the window, the woman wrote that she used to have blinds, but they broke, and I replaced them with curtains just the other day. Uh, fed up, she posted the note, but her father didn't seem very supportive. She explained, mentioned this to my old man today, whilst returning his ladder slash tools. He thinks doing that is out of order, but I disagree. Many people agreed with the original poster and told her she'd done the right thing, and some even said she hadn't gone far enough. One person suggested I would have been more in her face about it. <laughs> go out, <laughs> go out to the communal area where she is there, and just stare at her silently the whole time <laughs> while she's walking her dog. See how she likes it. Uh, well, another said your only mistake is using a post-it note rather than a poster board. But I suppose you don't want to completely block your view of the yard. <laughs> is if you post a wee post-it note on your window the woman might have to sort of lean in to read it depends how, exactly. how big her writing is yeah of course it, could, it might it might blow up in her face um <laughs> someone said here's a thought if she does this again snap a pic on your phone print it out and put it in a community board or post it on the community facebook saying can anybody identify this peeping tom <laughs> <laughs> i like that that's uh, a good one yeah, yeah uh, that that user's handle is asshole aficionado 13 um uh pretty in pink 81 oh this might be unicky says uh but you're <laughs> but you are escalating the situation. Buy one-way mirror film to put in your windows so that you have privacy during the day when the sun is out. Some people did try to explain why the woman might be looking through the window. One person said, so what does NTA stand for? She says, so NTA, I don't know what that stands for. I had to get some millennial. Should I have asked my daughter? What's um, the context but, of it? Because I would say it was the so, National Television Awards. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, well, Philip Schofield has got some time in his hands now, so maybe. Uh, she said, uh, sometimes when I walk my dog, I just stare into space, and there are windows everywhere. And during the day, I just see my own reflection. So sometimes I'm kind of vaguely looking at my reflection, wondering why the dog finds that spot so interesting. Then I abruptly realise I look like I'm staring, and then I look down at the same spot my dog is looking at shamefully. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said, Worth Season 3645 says, Flasher every time she looks in. Or Mooner. <laughs> or Mooner. That will stop her. Hold up a sign saying, Can I help you? Or This is not a mirror. Or, or any crazy thing you can think of. For, for some of my windows, I buy this stuff you can get at your local Home Depot or Amazon. Sort of like a privacy window cling. The only thing is, you can't really see out of it. <laughs> 
Supreme Court Just Ass uh, says what she's doing is an incredible violation of your privacy. You need to report her to whoever the landlord is and explain what's going on. Um, but that only works if people have shame. Do what you got to do. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, well, anonymous. Um, I'm not sure. Let's see what her... Oh, yeah, she's uh, gr- tenants in grouse, probably in Glasgow, <laughs> I would imagine. <laughs> I, I can thoughts? imagine... It's difficult if you've got a, a shared garden or something. Then, but it, it's it's one of those things that you you find it difficult maybe not to look in because yeah. living in Amsterdam, no one seems <laughs> to have curtains, and a lot of the ground floor apartments, like round where I live, or like when I go running, like a lot of houses and apartments, they just don't have blinds or curtains, and you you can't help it. Like you just you have a look in and it's you kind of it is true you kind of switch off and you just happen to glance Mm. in especially if i might walk in the dock and he's sniffing something and you just look up and you make eye contact with someone sitting having their dinner and you're like oh fuck or you'll see someone you know playing fifa or something and Mm. it's it's difficult not to i mean even our neighbor across the way in the apartment he doesn't have curtains and we've seen him whacking off to porn like on a couple of occasions, I've, I've sent you a photo on one point of him sta- standing up to um, standing up completely naked, um, pleasuring himself to um, to hardcore pornography. But it, it's difficult not to look in to these things. However, it sounds like this woman isn't just having like a, a little glance; she's mm. staring in to see what this this poor woman's up to, which again is a, a massive invasion of privacy. <laughs> but as she said, maybe she's just trying to read the post-it note or well, just uh, yeah, checking think, what she's yeah. doing. Yeah, maybe checking her makeup. I do think you know if you want if you want to put something bigger than a wee post-it note on the window, if you're uh, and I, I imagine she must have written on the back of the post-it note and then stuck it inside. Because if you stick it on the outside the window, it's just going to blow away or get washed off in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. I think she should just invest in a new set of blinds, to be honest. Like, it's that's going to cause... Because if she said she had blinds, but they broke, now she's got curtains, why didn't she just get blinds again? (laughs) I know. I know. I mean, this woman could have been staring into that window for years but she would never have known yeah until she got her curtains i mean i've I have lived in houses like when we lived in england you know the pavement outside was quite busy you know what i mean they like, just with just with people with people kind of sort of coming and going mm. and you know they like, nobody was sort of staring in um but yeah i mean I, i'd be a sort of empathize a little bit with her it's 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 shite when you live like on a busy like in a busy street or something in your Especially if your living room window, where they probably spend the most time, looks out and people sort of walking by and whatnot. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, as her dad thinks it's out of order to stick a wee post-it note in the window saying "mind your own business." <laughs> I think she's well within her rights to really. I mean, I mean, the, the most obvious thing would be to just have a word with this woman and ask her politely, like, "Can I help you?" Or, yeah. are you, can, you know, "Why are you staring in my window?" Rather than just putting a post-it note up. Mm-hmm. Don't know. Anyway, that's my first story this week. What you what you starting off with? Uh, my first story this week, Greg, comes from the Scottish Sun this week, and the headline is Michael Bangelo, Glasgow subway <laughs> advert featuring Michelangelo's David banned for nudity. So uh, this is Barolo, an Italian restaurant in the city's Mitchell Street, and they'd commission an advert featuring the famous statue with the caption, "It doesn't get more Italian." And there's a lovely picture there of Michelangelo's David eating a slice of pepperoni. Pizza. 
pizza. Um, but the restaurant was told to cover up the sculpture's modesty over concerns it could be viewed as obscene. Because, of course, Michelangelo's David is, of course, a, a naked statue. He does have his little cock and balls out. So, um, yeah. But they, they're not allowed to put it. Uh, Global, which runs the marketing in Scotland's only subway, had rejected the initial design where the iconic figure, uh, which is housed in a gallery in Florence, was cropped at the knees. The company told the restaurant they would need to put stickers of the Italian flag over the statue's genitals. Then, when the company did this, they claimed the stickers were too small. Uh, the advert was eventually redesigned with the image of David cropped at the waist, which was approved and can now be seen in the walls of the subway. But the move prompted a backlash, with some noting the statue's fame in the art world. Mario Gizzi, director of DRG Group, which runs Barolo, told the Times, This is a globally recognised piece of art. It is taught in schools. People from all over the world travel to see it. It's not the 1500s anymore. It's 2023. Are we really saying that the people of Glasgow can't handle seeing a naked statue? Uh, Mr. Jizzy said that his restaurant is all about Italy's classic cooking and Michelangelo's David is one of the country's most famous artworks. As the ad states, it doesn't get more Italian than that. Richard DeMarco, that sounds a bit Italian as well, uh, he's a Scottish yeah. artist and a, a patron of the Edinburgh Festival. He told the Times that he feared that the market was uh, forcing a certain prudery around such pieces of classic art. He said, I think it's a fantastic idea to have an image of that masterpiece on the Glasgow Underground, and its citizenry is very fortunate to be educated by it. A spokesperson for the Advertising Standards Authority said it's in the gift of media owners to refuse advertising space if they think it's obscene. Uh, it was a commercial decision. It's not something we will regulate. So, unfortunately, they've had to, to crop the advert so you don't get to see Michelangelo's cock and balls, and it's cut off <laughs> at the waist. My argument would be, surely this is just going to encourage vandalism of Neds who are going to draw a cock and balls where well, I mean, the cock and balls should be. I mean, you and I have discussed before there there is very little more amusing than a cartoon cock and balls <laughs> with a few <laughs> with a few a few little sort of perils of uh <laughs> a few little perils of I was gonna say jizz. Like Mr. Like Mr. Jizzy, who owns the restaurant, they like flying off the end. I mean, yeah, I think it's, a, it's just, just an opportunity for some hilarious hijinks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, right, even if the poster had been printed showing uh, David's, like, tiny genitalia, by the way. I've seen that statue. I mean, it's, cock and balls are, like, a, it's got babies. Um, it's going to get vandalised anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So what's the difference? Of course. Difference I mean... The fact he's, the way the statue is standing and he's got a slice of pizza in his hand as if he's eating it, there's just going to be another cock drawn on there so that it looks like he's just, he's enjoying a, a big sausage rather than a slice of pizza, uh, a big, big bit of salami. So I, I wonder, yeah, it's just encouraging graffiti. And then there's going to be complaints that it's, the posters have been vandalised, but they're just really kind of asking for it, if you, if you ask me. Not that I'm encouraging it or condoning it, but... It's well, it's gonna happen. I'm, I'm I think I'm kind of encouraging it a wee bit because <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing does always it, it does always give me a chuckle. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm surprised that we're just letting uh, Mario Jizzy pass without making childish <laughs> without making childish jokes about like his restaurant's oyster sauce and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't going to say anything about Mario Jizzy. It could be Geezy. Maybe it's oh, okay. a pronounced nation. Maybe it could be Geezy. But um, yeah. I've just choose, choose, 
to pronounce it. Jizzy. <laughs> well, it's it's just as well that we are mature professional podcasters who are above above making childish jokes about exactly. an Italian gentleman's uh, spunky name. I'm sure he probably just goes by Mario G to his friends. <laughs> yeah. Imagine yeah. to yeah. to avoid getting bullied or anything. So yeah, so that is um apparently Glasgow hates Italian art, Greg. That's what I would uh, well, I've yeah, taken away from it. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sad it's one of the list of the many things that Glasgow doesn't like. Um, <laughs> unification, for example. Um, <clears throat> wow. Yeah, well, look, you know, I mean, I'm sort of... Uh, it does seem... I mean, I'm sure... Did they not have... Um, I feel like the statue of David was on a tour in the last few... Maybe before the pandemic, it was getting toured around and shown at sort of different museums and art galleries around the country. And I feel like... Uh, well, not around the country, but around the world, maybe around Europe. I, I mean, I could be, I'd have to Google, um, but I feel like it might have been in Glasgow, maybe at the Kelvin Grove for a while before it moved on to its next place. Mm. I mean, if you're, you know, if you want people to come and see it, you're going to have to put like a little picture of it on a poster, right? Or like a, on your Instagram account or something like that. I don't yeah. know, date to you. To, to Mario G's point, or, uh, or rather Richard DeMarco's point, I don't know why people are getting so upset about it. I don't know. It's just a bit of art, but, you know, it's not anything hugely offensive, I don't think, but never mind. It's tiny. It's like changing a baby's nappy. You know what I mean? It's fucking... You know, it's like nothing to brag about. Um, I'm I'm sure there'd be outrage about that if that was to happen in the subway as well, Greg. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) No doubt. Oh, never mind. All right, well, what else have you seen this week, Greg? Um, Well, two very quick ones. Um, So, 1983 was a, a massive year. Um, for films. A lot of films are celebrating uh, the 40th anniversary. Um, films like uh, Scarface, uh, War Games, National Lampoon's Vacation, uh, Risky Business with uh, Trading Places, um, Flashdance. But the one that means the most to us, I think, uh, is Local Hero. Mm. Um, f- 40 years young this year. Uh, the Press and Journal ran a little story on the 17th of May to say that Local Hero actors will be returning to the Aberdeenshire coast uh, later in May for a, a sort of 40th anniversary relation, uh, reunion rather um, and celebration of the film um, Sandra Vo, who was one of the crew she's uh, travelling back to Pennon in the northeast of Scotland where a lot of the movie is uh, is filmed she also played the shopkeeper uh, Mrs Fraser if you go back uh, to what episode did we do episode 50 50 here, wasn't it? yeah yeah back to episode 50 you can hear us talking about um local hero bizarrely interestingly a bit of a local a bit of a press and journal fact um sandra vo is the mother of uh candida doyle who plays keyboards for pulp oh so there you go a little uh, a little uh, pub quiz question so she's going to reunite with uh, Jonathan Watson uh, uh, Tam Dean Byrne uh, who features uh, later on in our movie this week to celebrate the film uh, they're hoping that uh, Bill Forsyth will be will be available to come as well and um, obviously Burt Lancaster can't go because he's been dead for years but maybe uh, maybe <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing at that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know fucking silly old bastard dead for years um, so yeah so that, that'll be nice for the, for the people of Pennon I'm sure they'll be looking forward to that yeah and then the other little story showbiz story that i've got so there's uh, i know that you as i am are a big fan of the not, not scottish band very much english band blur 
Hmm. They've got a they've got a new album coming out on the twenty first of July called The Ballads of Darren. And they have chosen the Guruk Outdoor Swimming Pool, uh, like a picture of the Guruk Outdoor Swimming Pool uh, for the cover of the album. Uh, well, I say outdoor swimming pool. The correct term is Lido. So the the picture, uh, and maybe we'll um, maybe I'll put it on the Instagram a bit closer to the release date. Give give uh, give blood a bit of free publicity, but it's a man swimming in the blue waters of the Gurik Lido. In the background, you can see uh, the sea and uh, the rolling hills and the biggest fucking rain cloud <laughs> you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I've been looking forward to that. Nice to see, always good when uh, that these um, these uh, sort of perhaps more, particularly in Scotland, maybe not as well known uh, areas, um, get a bit of publicity. Um, Twitter user Murray McMillan wrote, "Seeing as that's in Guruk in Scotland, and I can see the pool from my house, I think we deserve a Scottish date uh, if they come to tour the album." Um, and somebody's gone as far to say, "Well, how about a show in Inverclyde?" Since um, since Gurick is uh, is going to be there. Uh, the picture was taken by British photographer Martin Parr in 2004. The swimmer's name is Ian Galt. About to get pissed on by the looks of things. So yeah, so yeah, I think I might like to go and see Blur if they if they if they tour. I know that they did a they, they did a bit of a concert a few days ago, um, but I think it was mainly for like celebrity friends. Uh, film director Edgar Wright shared a few videos of. Um, some of the performances on his Instagram account, but yeah, it's always it's it's always good news when Blur get back together. Um, yeah, and, they're and coming to you, music. Amsterdam in a couple of months' time. I'm kind of debating whether to go and see them because it's a it's like a Tuesday night and it's a bit awkward. Um, but I would quite like to go and see them. Um, I mean, what is their? They, they do you have a seen Blur a, before? Yes, I have. Yeah, back in yeah. Um, I think ninety eight, um, wow. ninety eight or ninety nine. Um, mm-hmm. I saw them. Yeah, at V Festival. Uh, yeah, they were brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Do they have a bit of an obsession with swimming pools or or swimming in general, <laughs> or you know, water? Because Leisure has a a photo of a yeah. swimming pool woman with a, a swimming cap on. Then you have mm-hmm. The Great Escape, someone yep. diving in, and then Think Tank has a couple with divers' helmets on as well. Yeah. So out of what there are nine albums, four of them have got covers of sort of a a watery kind of swimming nature. Yeah. I don't know. I'll be sure to ask them if I ever meet any of them. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, anyway, looking forward to hearing the ballad of Darren in in July when it's released. If it's good, that'll be my my summer soundtrack. If it's good. If not, I'll listen to it once and then come back to it in a few years. Very good. Very good. So what's your next story this week? Um, Okay, so my next story this week, Greg, is also from the Scottish Sun. And it involves Scottish football and SPFL side Wraith Rovers in particular. So uh, this was, this story involves the TV presenter Rylan Clark, who uh, couldn't help getting involved when championship side Wraith Rovers announced a key man's contract extension with a slightly rude post. Actually, I've just realised that both of my stories this week revolve around a similar item. Uh, So (laughs) former Falkirk star Liam Dick has emerged as a key man for the Kirkcaldy side, and Ian Murray's men were very happy to keep him involved as he penned a new one-year contract. Uh, Whether or not the club banked on their tweet being viewed no fewer than five million times is another matter. (laughs) That's because of the interesting way they phrased the post. 
So the top headline, in terms of the way they've posted it, read Dick Extension. We are delighted to announce that Liam Dick has renewed his contract for another year, keeping with the club till 2024. Uh, so, uh, yeah... <laughs> Let's just say it was it was the post that raised a few eyebrows. Uh, Rylan Clark, uh, who is the face of Cinch's SPFL sponsorship, he quickly responded, "I'm fine with this." Um, <laughs> And football fans from all over the UK rushed into the comments to make their own jokes as the post gained huge traction uh, for a fairly routine contract extension. One wrote, this is huge if true. Uh, Another wrote, the best player announcement yet. A third person wrote, player sponsored by Viagra. Someone else commented, that's massive. And a fifth person (laughs) said, it's great to have a hard man at the back. (laughs) Uh, Wraith Rovers took to social media again this morning to say they were delighted with the engagement they've got over the post uh, and the player and his sponsors were also delighted. They wrote, well that escalated quickly. Over 5 million people now know that Liam Dick extended his contract for another season. So I like that when football clubs, I mean, come on, they've, they've done that on purpose, a bit of tongue-in-cheek, yeah. dick extension. Obviously, 100%. they've got his approval, I would imagine, before they've done that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's gathered them a lot of interest and a lot of exposure. Um, and I like it when things, companies or, or a football club does something like that, a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Not like fucking banning a, a Subway advert because it had a, a penis on it. A tiny, tiny baby's penis. <laughs> You're really obsessed with this, the, the size of it. That's what's offending you the most, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. I just sort of think if, if, if you're going to go to the trouble of sculpting something that's going to become your life's work and you want it to be like a muscular young man eating an apple, you want to give him something to brag. I mean, he's got cracking abs already, but, you know, if he's trying to attract a young lady, I don't think the abs alone are going to cut it, especially when they see him with his loincloth off, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Okay, fair enough. Well, that covers uh, Liam Dick, so I hope he has another successful season at Wraith Rovers. And uh, yeah, good on Ryland for commenting on that as well. Uh, so, have you seen anything else this week, Greg, in the news? Um, well, no, but I thought, because it's because it's been a tough week uh, for news, I thought I might do a bit of a game with you. And okay. it's, it's not... It's not really a game. So there's a podcast that I've been enjoying called The Moon Underwater by John Robbins. And he gets uh, famous people on every week to discuss what their dream pub would be like. So I thought it might be good fun to ask you some of the questions that they ask their celebrity guests. Because, you know, you you and I, I think it's quite fair to say that a a large part of our friendship and our relationship over the last... 20 plus years is based on the fact that we both really like a boozer mm. um you know so the so the, the so the first question then for you nikki in your dream pub what you can have two draft drinks on there could be beer cider guinness lager whatever what's your first what's your first draft beer that you would have in your dream pub Come of on. anything you want. It's tenants, of course. <laughs> it's got to, be, it's got to be tenants. Of course it's it? tenants, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, yeah, what, what, what would your second one be? Guinness. <laughs> tenants and Guinness? Yeah. I was thinking to myself, it could be well, hard. Because, you know, I never, you know, I, I do like a pint of Guinness, but I like a pint of tenants as well. So yeah. I think I would I would go for that. I mean, what, am I supposed to, something fancy or no, exquisite? I think so. or, I mean, you know, I'm only allowed two, so it's not like I can have 80 shilling as well, but yeah. uh, I'd go for, yeah, tenants and Guinness why what about yourself what would you go for uh, I would have tenants I don't know I, I like Guinness I don't know if I'd have it there though um, I'd maybe go for 
for like a, a 70 or 80 shilling, mm. something like that. Fair enough. Know? Yeah. That's all right. Okay. Yeah. I could live for that. What would your, you can know, you could, you could have two spirits, shorts, what would your, what would your first spirit be? Uh, what does it have to be just spirit or brand or do you know what anything I mean in terms of well, well i mean if, you, if you've got a favorite spirit you've probably got a favorite brand of that spirit right? uh, yeah well i'd go with um yeah mount gay rum just purely because i drank a lot of it when i was on holiday in barbados so yeah mm. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that and then a, a nice uh, yeah open whiskey nice what do you what, what do you have in your rum do you just have it on its own or do you put a wee mixer in there um have it on its own i could put a wee mixer in i suppose as well yeah, yeah, could, I, yeah. I, I don't mind a little rum and coke or um but yeah I, I got into just straight rum in barbados yeah. it's very nice um or rum punches as well but yeah could just have a, mm. a straight rum that was good if you like a straight rum i can recommend because uh, i also have discovered recently that i quite like a straight rum as well um appleton's rum okay from jamaica very nice um yeah quite smooth uh, especially the reserve is even smoother if you like if you want to have it neat so okay last one then or sorry second to last one this is, i think this one may be may be harder and the in the jukebox you can have one album ah oh, now is this um what am i like is this pub just for me or have i got it's your, to it's, it's your you know, it's your dream pub it's your dream pub entertaining the the patrons as well because you know i don't want well, to obviously pick something depressing or no it's something just it's it's all for you this pub exists to satisfy Nikki, right? Doesn't matter about anybody else. I mean, we've already established that there's probably only going to be a gents toilet in there, <laughs> given by your, <laughs> given your choice, given your choice of drinks. Uh, um, but yeah, this the, 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 this pub exists only to only to to please you, no one else. Um, oh Christ, that's a good one because you know you need something that I'm going to enjoy. I mean, I'll never get sick of everything must go by the Manic Street Preachers. Mm. And it's good. You know, there's some good songs you can sit and have a little sort of melancholy moment when listening to Enola alone. But then after you've had a few pints of Tenants and Guinness, you can get fucking rowdy to a design for life and yeah. get on the bar and start, yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about love. Yeah, probably that. Yeah, yeah. I think I'd go Everything Must Go by the Manic Street Preachers. Cool. cool. Yeah, and uh, that was released uh, this week in 1996, I noticed there a little post go. the other day. So it's a Time to mention, like, last question then. What behaviour would you, would, you, would you not tolerate in Nikki's bar? So, you know, they just... Does, I mean, obviously, there's there are the, the obvious ones, like fighting and, you know, or just generally being a nuisance, but what is the one thing that you don't want to see in a pub that you might that might annoy you if you went to, like, the pub and you saw other people doing? No kids. No kids. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Well, there we go. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, it might not even have a gents' toilet. This pub, it might just have like a trough in front of the bar that guys just fucking just pissing. I mean, I think if I, I would, I would have to make sure, I would make sure that the bar was long enough that plenty, that everybody could sit at the bar if yeah. you know if they wanted, you know, because yeah, yeah, Excellent. I think that's important. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Oh well, thanks for that. Thoroughly enjoyed that. That's my dream yeah. pub. I'll just go and sit and pub. drink my tenants, listen to the yeah. street preachers um, with a little rum and enjoy no kids. Um, you're in good company with tenants because I listened to Ian Rankin. Uh, he was a guest on the Moon Underwater uh, last year and uh, tenants was 
one of his choices for his dream pub. I do wonder if, if it gets a bad rap because I see a lot of there's on the Aberdeen forum that I occasionally go on there is a, a thread of called what are you drinking today and people will post <laughs> what beers they're drinking or what pint photos <laughs> yeah. of pints or something and a lot of people are like oh I fucking wouldn't drink tenants and a lot of people are into their IPAs and fancy beers but I, I guess it's the same for you and me because we don't live in Scotland I mean I'll only drink tenants when I'm back in Scotland now mm. because kind of like well I don't know when I'll get my next pint and I, I, I yeah. think tenants are lovely lager I have to admit when I was younger as you know you know, it was Stella that I used to drink. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. it's yeah, you know, full of chemicals. And then I realised that <laughs> for some reason I could go on a night out and I would drink six pints of Stella and I'd be fucking buckled. But I could drink six pints of Tenants and feel fine. So mm-hmm. that's basically why I switched to Tenants. And yeah, I think Tenants is lovely. I miss it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it is definitely a session beer. If you're going to the football and you've got, especially if it's an away game, or even if it's not an away game, like you know that you know that it's going to be a long day and you don't you know you can't you can't have a long day on like some belgian rocket fuel and as much as i enjoy an ipa you can't really have a long day in them either because they're sweet as hell Mm. you know so so even if you're not like bolutered by like three o'clock you're still going to probably you might be feeling a wee bit kind of queasy with all the sweetness and the sugar and stuff like that whereas tenants just you know you you have a pint of tenants like first thing in the morning on your way to work (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah, you can still actually. give your absolute best. You know, you can even have you even take a can into the bog like mid morning. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be fine, and you'd be absolutely fine. Oh wow! Well, I look forward to having um, yeah a pint in my pub. You can come in, Greg. You're more than welcome to. Ah, um, awesome. Talking of people that have been out and about in Scotland in pubs, do you want a quick round of guess the celebra super tea? Yeah, otherwise known as the purple tin game. The purple yeah, tin just... game. Okay, very quickly for any listeners that haven't heard the first round of guess the celebra super tea or the purple tin game. Uh, effectively, this is born from. There's always an article in the Scottish paper about some celebrity that's been photographed at a Scottish pub or restaurant and it's just a pointless news story and I thought we'd play a little guess who game Greg has nine questions to guess the super celebrity and it's called that he's got nine questions because uh, a tin of tenants special brew <laughs> is nine percent um, proof <laughs> so uh, so yeah guess the celebrity super tea Greg uh, this celebrity was uh, spotted in a popular Glasgow Italian restaurant, not the one with Michelangelo's David, they were spotted in Fratelli Sarti on Bath Street, where they are right. considered to be a regular anytime they're in town oh. I was going to ask if it was uh, Beyonce having a pint of like, <laughs> Belhaven in the Scotia Bar or something, but clearly uh, no. not, so okay so, it's, so the fact that it's whenever they're in town, suggests that it's not a Scottish celebrity. It's not a Scottish celebrity. Mm, right, okay. Fucking hell, that opens it up significantly. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, uh, is this celebrity an, an actor? No, they're not an actor. Is this celebrity a musician? I will tell you, yes, they are a musician. However, as this headline reads, popular something and musician. So they are also known for something else. But I would say, if I said to you this person's name, you would say they were a musician. But they are also famous for something else as well. So if it's, okay, so not an actor. So what else can, ah, is... Is the is the is the person also a DJ like on the radio? Um. Oh, 
That's a good point. I no, no, not on the no, radio. Okay. No, uh, no. Is he? Oh my God, three questions. Is uh, a television produced uh, presenter? Yes, television presenter uh, and musician, which oh. should fucking give it away quite yeah. easily. Yeah, is it? Is it? The f- founding member of the Squeeze, uh, Joe Holland. It certainly Jules is. Holland. Yes, Jules Holland uh. was. Uh, he was photographed at uh, the Italian restaurant. Uh, he was performing in Glasgow, and apparently, he goes to that restaurant every time he's in this city. So, oh, and wow. it's a lovely photo on Fratelli Sarti's Instagram page with Jules and the two owners yeah. enjoying himself. So there you go. Oh, that was good. Yeah, you got that pretty quickly. Yeah, that's yeah, surprisingly well. I guess that wraps up the news for this week then, Craig. And a couple of lovely games as well. Absolutely mm. wonderful. Um, okay. Uh, right, so as mentioned on the last episode of the podcast, Greg, we have a new sponsor. Yes, that's right. This episode is brought to you by Doric Skateboards. And I had a chance to meet up with the man behind Doric Skateboards, Gary Kemp, last week to have a little chat about the company and all things Scottish. So I am joined here today by our new sponsor, Gary Kemp from Doric Skateboards. How are you today, Gary? Welcome to the Culture Swally. Yeah, good, good. Glad, uh, nice nice to be here and uh, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you and thank you very much for sponsoring the Culture Swally. We are absolutely delighted to have you on board because I know... I've been a customer for years from years. Like I'm a big brand, a big fan of the brand. So I know exactly what it's all about. So, but in terms of for our listeners, why don't you tell us like a little bit about yourself and your background? Um, well, my background is um, slightly, I would say slightly grumpy Aberdonian, um, unfulfilled professional life. Decided to, well, decided to get back on a skateboard about 10 years ago. And then kind of like a few years after that, faced with potential redundancy, figured I needed something for myself, something I could control, creative, interesting. So I thought, start a skateboard brand. I mean, I say brand, I didn't really know the word brand at the time. So (laughs) I a skateboard company. And yeah, it's grown from there and uh, Doric Skateboards. So that's six years ago we launched. It took me like nine months to get going. But uh, yeah, and the whole idea is it's it's all about, it's all inspired by sort of life in the northeast of Scotland, the people, culture, places, seagulls, butt race, things like that. <laughs> you know, all, the, all the culture, basically. Yeah. That kind of ask, answers my next question, really, which was you know, what is the inspiration for setting up the brand? But it was because your, your love of skateboarding and just wanting to do something creative, I guess. Yeah, something creative definitely was like a huge thing because um, I, I didn't go to uni until I was like 30. And entered the professional world um, at like 34 or whatever. Mm. And I was probably disappointed, to be honest, because it was just like, <laughs> what, what, what's a spreadsheet? What the hell? What am I doing? I didn't, you know, I didn't really understand. I, I'm still baffled as to what we're all doing, to be honest. Sending emails to each other, that's about it. Um, and so I kind of needed someone else, someone that I could kind of get my teeth into. So where does the inspiration and idea for the designs come from? You've, you've already mentioned it comes from kind of around about Aberdeen seagulls and, yeah. and puppies <laughs> and stuff. But it, what is it that inspires you that you see and you're like, hey, that'll be a great idea for a design? I mean, I think movies are a big inspiration. You know, mm. movies and film and stuff are huge. Um, almost without knowing it, that they've sort of influenced a lot of it. 
<laughs> but also other, you know, designs that already exist and uh, nostalgia is a lot of it as well, you know, mm. kind of things growing up that that sort of stuck with me and I've, uh, you, know, <laughs> you might say inspired, I'd probably say pilfered for <laughs> exploited. Uh, I've not had a cease and desist yet if it Oh, that's good. Emails, but nothing too, nothing too substantial. <laughs> so over the six years, you've had a, a fair few designs that you've you've, you've done. What's yeah. been your favourite that you really you're you're really proud of? That is, is your. Uh... I think. I mean, I wouldn't want it. So we've worked with a lot of local artists and designers who you know either either they execute an idea I've got or they come to me with ideas and stuff. But I think probably the one that um, is stuck around is the the bottle design, the plenty of pop which was my own one, which was just a, a homage to those uh, juice trucks of the, the 80s and, or 70s and 80s that used to go around um, the housing estates selling Coca-Cola and Limeade and other kind of gut-rotting uh, juice that <laughs> was responsible for me lacking several teeth nowadays, probably. <laughs> but uh, uh, that, that so I, had, I can't even remember. Yeah, I, I decided that, uh, that was just going to be that design and we sort of tweaked it to to match our our logo and it's still around now and there's actually one of the boards is going up and there's an exhibition at the art gallery next month no this month and so they've asked if I'll, if I'll donate loan them a board for oh, it amazing so it'll be one of them yeah yeah I love the, the plenty of pop design I yeah fondly remember the, the Bon Accord lorries going round <laughs> and delivering juice and as you say I think I actually chipped my front tooth because I was scoofing out of a bottle oh, and of- put it down <laughs> my mum going <laughs> mental that I Chip oh, my tooth, God. but yeah, I I know what you mean. So it wasn't just the sugar that wrecked your teeth; it was the bottles as well. <laughs> the bottle was a danger as well, I suppose. Yeah. So you mentioned in terms of working with local designers, is it important that you you keep it local in terms of? I mean, the brand is Doric yeah. Skateboards, of course, but you want to really work with designers from yeah. the local area. Yeah, I mean, in, in full transparency, I I had never used the word collaboration in my life before right and it wasn't really until quite early on um people had approached and asked about designs doing designs with me and stuff so it, it wasn't really a thought straight away but it very quickly became a big part of it to be honest and i'd be happy enough punting along doing my own kind of <laughs> my own designs probably wouldn't be nearly as popular but you know i'd still be having fun with it but it's, it's good to work with you know i'm, I'm sort of blown away by the talent and Mm. professionalism even among a lot of them you know of all ages and all experience you know students that go to Grey's like amazing you know really easy to work with kind of know what they're doing and that's been great yeah Yeah, there's a lot of talent in Aberdeen and it's um it's great that they can showcase it as well through your work as you know I know no shade at the industries here, but they're not all going to be able to work on brochures for oil companies and <laughs> that sort of exciting shit. You know, they, they probably want to do some some different stuff, and it's probably up to everyone in the city that's doing something to engage with them and give them a chance. It doesn't matter yeah. what business you run, but it's a cafe or skateboard brand. You could you could get them on board and, mm. and give them a give them a platform if you can. You know, they say that people buy from people. And you've been so honest, like in terms of social media, about setting up the business and any struggles of yeah. setting up a small business. Do you think the the local communities help that in terms of because your brand's so Doric focused? Do you feel yeah. the community has embraced it? Yeah, aye, and and it's kind of like goes across all. Like I will say, you know, our brand is not for the cool the cool skater, right? The, the sort of like awkward teenager into the early twenties. <laughs> We're probably not for that person, you know. Um, I don't know if 
you remember the cartoon the raggy dolls when we were oh, kids I, yeah of course I reject uh, sort of dolls from a factory. Um, that's kind of how I think of Doric skateboards, you know. I think it's for that. We're, we are for the rejects. And, and um, you know, it's amazing to see all sorts of different people support it. Not, you know, in majority of them, not skaters, but they appreciate it. They appreciate the designs or they used to skate or they like skateboarding. And some of them do skate. So it's kind of, aye, it would be nothing without that support. And it's, it's you know... It is humbling to when people say nice things. That's yeah, that's really cool. Oh well, yeah, you deserve it, and you're right actually, because I am kind of exactly the same in terms of I've got a fair few of your items, and I've well, I like the skating culture, but I've it's been a long time since I've been on a skateboard. I did buy one at the start of lockdown actually, right. and I've been on it about three times. I've just been <laughs> terrified in terms of like I know I'm going to break my wrist, Painful. and it takes <laughs> it takes a long time to heal when you're 42. <laughs> um, so yeah. you mentioned in terms of like movies and tv shows and like any scottish i mean obviously you have had a few already but any of those that you think would be an influence for any future designs that you might um, have not no i mean so my movie taste from a young age really was not so much now but really it was shaped by sort of like uh kind of like ken loach sort of mm. quite sort of like you know the kitchen sink drama sort of stuff you know quite grim and so um they probably will whereas i think most of the doric stuff is sort of um goes for a bit of humor although i'm saying that you know a lot of like the the kitchen sink dramas are full of of kind of wit and and, and funny stuff you know so um i did sometimes think of like local hero and stuff like that but to be yeah. honest i think that's that's i mean okay i i pick low-hanging fruit as it is right seagulls but it's that's <laughs> local hero is also low-hanging fruit and i think it's yeah i'm, I'm, I'm not going to completely write it off <laughs> you know i'm not going to say that so maybe right. coming soon eh? Yeah. Oh, that'll be good we'll see. see that speaking of butt race it's funny enough because we spend to seem to spend a lot of time on the podcast speaking about our love for the the late night bakeries <laughs> that you used to oh. get in aberdeen well you still get in aberdeen I, yeah. and it's definitely an aberdonian thing mm-hmm. without a doubt after a night out you'd head to the bakery what would be your item of choice when you went to the bakery? Okay, so it's a specific bakery. It's got to be Thane's on George Street, right? Oh, yeah. We know the one very well. It <laughs> can be a bit tasty, not in, not in flavour-wise there. You know, you, you, you've got to be dedicated to go there at two in the morning. So I, yeah, either a steak pie and a macaroni pie. Oh, cheeky. Love a macaroni pie. A couple of butteries. Yeah, I like a buttery, just dry, nothing on it. Okay. So I... Recently, I did. I was I was out one night, and I I got to a point that um you know where the lion is across the triple kirks. Yes, straight ahead to go home or hang a right and go to George Street and get a pie. <laughs> I was just like, don't go for a pie. <laughs> Took the long way home. So yeah, I pies all macaroni steak, couple of butties. That's what we reminisce about. There's nothing better than a pie <sighs> after a night out. Chapel Street used to be our favourite haunt, and. Yeah. Was always yep. used to remember the the say I to a pie poster yeah, right. and uh, and I remember the guy had an award up that he was a master baker and <laughs> you know he must get so pissed off if people asking him at three o'clock in the morning if he is a master baker oh, and it's I just God bless know, him for doing that. I know but yeah. he took it, he took it in good stead. <laughs> so in terms of Aberdeen and memories and and things that could come up with ideas, Greg and I put our heads together yes. and we thought about. Some Aberdeen icons that probably are out with copyright nowadays that you could get away with. <laughs> so, first thought was the Tasty Tatty. 
that used oh, to be I, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That, yeah. Aye, Christ, aye, that was a classic. That's, aye. aye, that's now the Pig's Wings. Uh, ah, yeah, it's another eatery, a local eatery. But I taste the tatty. Yeah, that cool little kind of like potato character, was it? Yeah, it was, was a little eye, little was it? Was it? potato logo that yeah, uh, was, he was holding a fork, which I, 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 a bit bizarre. It's like cannibalism. I don't know what he was doing there. <laughs> He's eating so, oh, it's a strange one. Huh? <laughs> um, yeah, like it. Uh, we also thought of Amadeus, that <laughs> institution, oh, Amadeus, Britain's biggest oh, nightclub at one point. Oh, yes. <laughs> what a, I mean, I'd like to say fond memories, but not really. Just, just kind of misery, really. Oh, I'm going home. I'm going home again myself. Straight to the baker. <laughs> Get that free bus. <laughs> the the Amadeus bus was your last hope, wasn't it? No. If, you, if you couldn't get, uh, <laughs> if you couldn't meet a lady on the bus, then yeah, you were definitely just heading to the baker's. Home, yeah, home, yeah, macaroni pie instead. Which, to be honest, at my age, I am now thinking I'm like, hey, mother pie. That's it, you know. Yes, what? okay, Amadeus. Though, I, it's a, that's a. That's a classic, saying <laughs> in, in inverted commas. But if you were lucky enough to, to leave Amadeus, not that lucky, but lucky enough to go back to a party, right. and then the party was still in full swing at 6am, you could maybe nip down to the schooner for a pint. Oh, the schooner, yep. the sailors. Yep, yep. a pint and a fight or something like that. <laughs> yeah. still, you still get you still two bars on Castlegate open at 8, eight till 8. Oh, really? Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, port, wow. Portals, I think it is one of them, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, aye. You very quickly past there if you were there at that time in the morning <laughs> yeah so kind of doubling back at a question really we're from the same era in terms of like the 80s 90s and yeah. so what's your your memory of scottish films and tv shows from that time obviously you've mentioned local hero but is there anything else you really remember that you loved from around well, about the, that time it's weird i think for generations now they're spoiled for like scottish movie stars really Mm. The list is kind of endless and they're top tier, you know, for your like Gerard Butlers and guys like that, uh, um, even even writers and directors. And you've got John Baird, you know, from Peter Heed making big Hollywood movies, which is pretty, should be inspiring, I hope. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, we, we were talking about the VHS generation and we used to go to the, a place called The Cabin, which is a wee store at Byron Square in Northfield. And uh, so my, my memory of there is just video covers like mm. completely inappropriate video covers um <laughs> and one in particular was a, a scottish film restless natives mm. which had a sort of like i think it was two guys on a bike motorbike yeah. cover one a clown mask and there were robbers and, and to this day i don't think i've ever seen it it's one of those films that's just like stayed off my radar but the the image is like completely in my mind from from video days it's weird you know? it's funny we covered that on the swally uh, last year i think and greg and i had never seen it either it, it's so bizarre it's one of those films that just seemed to escape us yeah yep. exactly as you've said and we watched it we loved it but we both said i wish i'd seen this when i was like 12 13 then it would have been like a real staple aye, that i would aye. have loved forever but aye. you kind of felt you were missing out a bit but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend watching it. It's oh, a great I, film. It's, it's on the enormous list of stuff that I uh, I need, still need to <laughs> plow through. But yeah, that's that that film just stuck in my head from from being I, I you know really young. It wasn't really until the nineties that we started to see Scotland represented on film mm. more, you know, and, and in different ways, you know, away from the, the sort of shortbread tin version yeah. of scotland you know well thank you so much for joining us on the swally oh, gary you. and it's been an absolute pleasure and um, we'll 
speak to you very soon. Cheers. Thanks. So there we go, Greg. A wonderful chat there with Gary from Doric Skateboards. And I actually left out the last question I asked him, in which I asked him to pick a piece of Scottish media for us to review. Um, And we'll be looking at that in the coming episodes. So you'll have to tune out to find out. You'll have to tune in to find out what Gary <laughs> selected. Uh, but in the meantime, head over to DorickSkateboards.com or visit Doric Skateboards on Instagram to check out the decks, tees, hoodies, beanies, badges, and stickers they have to offer. And as a listener to this podcast, if you use the code SWALLY at checkout, that's S-W-A-L-L-Y, all uppercase, and the same as the name of this podcast, you'll receive 15% off your order. So DoricSkateboards.com and the code SWALLY. And you'll find all the details in the description of this episode. So it was your turn to choose our film slash television series uh, for this episode of the SWALLY. So why don't you introduce what we're going to be talking about today? Thank you very much, Greg. Well, we've covered a few Irvin Welsh adaptations on the Swally before, such as Trainspotting, T2, Filth, Crime, and of course, Creation Stories as well, which not an adaptation of a book, but he, he wrote. Mm. Um, check them out wherever you get the podcasts. As Greg has said before, they're all good. Um, but today, <laughs> I want to speak about the film adaptation of his 1994 book, The Acid House. So, The Acid House was a collection of 22 short stories, and the film adaptation covers just three of those stories, running at around about 35 minutes each. The stories picked are The Grant and Star Cause, A Soft Touch, and the story which the book takes its name from, The Acid House. And I'll go into a description of each of these stories, because I think we're probably going to talk about them individually, Greg, and then talk about the film as a, as a whole. So, this film starred Ewan Bremner, Kevin McKidd, Michelle Gomez, Stephen McCall, of course, Morris Groves, and a whole host of other Scottish swally stalwarts. Uh, the film was directed by Paul McGuigan, and was released in 1998 to somewhat lacklustre reviews at the time. But Greg, what's your first memories of The Acid House? Well, I remember reading the book, like I mentioned, on the episode where we covered train spotting, I had read the book a couple of months before a friend at school called Martin Scott gave me a loan of it, um, and I read it pretty much in a day. Train spotting that is, and so when I gave him it back, he said, "Oh, if you like, um, if you like the Acid House, uh, if you like Train Spotting, rather, I've got another book by Irvin Welsh." He said, "It's not as good, but it's all short stories," and so like obviously, like, I eagerly consumed that one not as quickly as I read as I'd read train spotting because not not all the stories sort of resonate in the same way mm. um so when I saw that there was a movie coming out I was quite interested to to see it and I did and <laughs> I hadn't seen it since it came out before I watched it again for the this episode of the culture swally and while it while there's some enjoyable moments it's it's a bit of an uncomfortable watch mm-hmm. I think the acid house to be to be brutally honest it's very 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 much of its time mm. there's like it's it's a, it's a good day for 90s fashions um <laughs> and it's um like Paul McGuigan the director I, he he really copies a lot of sort of Danny Boyle's mm. little nuances that he does in Trainspotting and T2, you know. Mm. What about you? Did, you? did you enjoy going back to it? What's, what's your first memories of it? Um, I Similar to you, I'd read the book before I saw the film. Um, I think we've discussed this when we discussed Trainspotting and probably anything Irvin Welsh that we've done in that mm. seeing the film Trainspotting was kind of my first 
exposure and then I went back and I read Train Spotting, then I went and read The Acid House, Marabou Stort Nightmares, Ecstasy, you know, devouring anything Irvin Welsh. Yeah. Um and then I think as I've said, Filth came out and I remember buying Filth like the, the week it came out and since then every Irvin Welsh book I've bought or downloaded the week it's come out. But I had read The Acid House. Um I didn't go to the cinema to see this, but I did rent it on VHS, like just after it had come out on on video. I remember I remember quite enjoying it at the time, but I think, as you've said, it's maybe of its time. And, yeah. you know, I would have been probably 17, 18 when it came out and probably thought it was a bit edgy and, you know, quite mm. different. And you're right. Watching it now, it can be quite uncomfortable um, for a whole host of reasons. I think there's it's of its time in that there's a lot of gratuitous nudity um yeah there's a lot of stuff in it that does kind of turn your stomach yeah and there's a lot of stuff in it that is genuinely very unsettling as well mm. um i think mm-hmm. particularly from a soft touch it's a it's a tough watch um yeah and i think it's i i think that this film wasn't quite well received when it came out and i, I do wonder and i read a lot of reviews online going back from 98 99 and of course a lot of these reviews are calling this train spotting too at the time yeah. effectively because it's probably at the back of Irvin welsh and it came off the back of train spotting and you're right i think it just it, it's maybe a bit <sighs> bit of a shame to compare it to train spotting because train spotting is just a completely unique beast in that it's just a, a masterpiece really and yeah for for this which isn't and i think it it's difficult because when you've got a collection of short stories just just picking three and mm. i i did go back and read a little bit of the ast house this week um just a couple of stories to to try and refresh my memory and there are other ones that could have worked but he probably did pick the three that maybe work the best in terms of of filming it i do wonder if this would have been better as a kind of a tv series in terms of picking some of the better ones and i think that is originally because back in 1997 so like a year before the film came out they actually showed the grant and star cause on channel four just as a a short film yeah just as part of the 35 minute they hadn't even filmed the other two sections yet but they showed this on channel 4 at 11 p.m on a sunday evening and the way it was promoted was this film contains 67 fucks 94 cunts and a dildo (laughs) and (laughs) kind of maybe sums up grant and star cause (laughs) yeah Um, yeah. and there was a lot of outrage um at the time about this being shown. Um, Even Mary Whitehouse got involved at that time. She was still alive. And the Church of England got involved saying that this was just, uh, it was blasphemy and and a gross offence, which I'd imagine probably encouraged quite a lot of people to actually watch it um, when it aired. So they probably did a a good bit of, um, good bit of promotion for it. I mean, we'll come on to talk about each one individually, but yeah, coming back to watch it, I, I enjoyed some places. I enjoyed performances. But yeah. I, I can't say I'm going to really go and watch this again um, anytime soon because as much as I've enjoyed certain parts of it, there are certain parts that really turned my stomach. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what I would say is, as a similarly to you, as a devourer of Irving Welsh's work over the years, I think this is probably, and I don't know if this is to the film's credit, but it's probably the most sort of faithful. <laughs> <laughs> to Irvin Welsh's sort of style 
the the themes he explores, the the sort of choices, the kind of narrative choices he makes and things. It can be because as much as a sort of casual viewer or someone who knows a bit about Irvin Welsh, you know, they'll be familiar with things like train spotting, for example, or maybe now that now that crime is getting a a more general release, maybe that will steer the focus a bit away. But it can be, a lot of his short stories and novellas can be very, very surreal. Mm. You know, if, if I think about uh, Bedroom Secrets of the Master Chefs, mm. I mean, that's a, that's a novel. And the whole premise of one guy being able to abuse his body with booze and drugs as much as he wants, and this other poor guy having the hangover and having the effects of that sort of lifestyle while the person that's enjoying the lifestyle is not suffering any ill effects you know it's it's a pretty as far as concepts go it's 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 out there and the acid house the book um and even the stories that are picked like this the, the first story and the last story uh in the film they're pretty it's a they're pretty wild concepts you know um and and i wonder if I, i'm not sure that something like this would get commissioned now i think perhaps it, about the, the success of train spotting has allowed has sort of got this film commissioned and, and released and you know if, if you if you Look at Paul McGuigan, the director's filmography. You know, apart from the 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 tons of TV stuff he's done, like his other films. You know, he's very much got his own style mm. of of filming. And I wonder if he was a bit under a bit of pressure from the producers to kind of make this like train spot. And so, mm. like you know, for example, when in the second story with the wedding, and you have a sort of still shot of the wedding party all there you know what i mean and it reminds me of train spotting in the pre-cred the sort of credit sequence when mm. you see the guys playing football and they're there you know and, and they the sort of close-ups of the guys in the pub like smoking fags and having a drink just like the guy by themselves you know uh just before bob meets god in the boozer mm. and even even the credits you know like the font mm. on the credits and everything very 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 similar you know naming the characters as well, you know, that sort of the sort of freeze the frame and the character's yep. name pops up. And now I wonder if he was maybe under a bit of pressure to to sort of essentially copy Danny Boyle. But then this was his first film. He was only thirty five when he when he directed it. It was his, it was an opportunity for him, to, I suppose, to get a movie made. So yeah. you know, I th- yeah, I think so. You're right. There's a lot in this and i think we'll discuss as we're we're talking about each one but yeah there's a, a lot of points that i'm watching it and thinking ah that's just directly at train spotting and it, it's difficult mm. because it's the, the obviously it's from Irvin welsh's book but it, yeah you know you could kind of make it a little bit different and not make it quite so obvious you're copying the the one thing i would say is because often when you have a, a film like this with a uh, short stories it can suffer because sometimes each one has like a different director or a different writer. Um, you yeah. know, I'm thinking about the, the old anthology films that we used to see or, you know, you mm. don't get a lot of stuff like this nowadays, really, in terms of a, a film of this nature. But what I would say is it does shine that there is a cohesion through this and you can see the they are all identifiable as the same writer, same director, Yeah, I would say to a certain extent in the way it's filmed. And I, I do think some of the choices he's made are are very clever and very good. But I agree, it's it's trying to be train spotted too much and yeah. failing miserably. It's it's the difficult second album almost. And I, I mean, yeah. it's not Danny Boyle, of course, directing it, so it's it's a shame to to say that. But in terms of Irvin Welsh adaptations, 
you know, I, I think it suffered. And I think, you know, that maybe that's why I know Ecstasy got made into a film, but then maybe that's why nothing really else got touched until Filth did, quite quite a way down the line, really. Yeah, and the film of Ecstasy has got very little to do with the book. Yeah. You know, the, the stories, they hard Because Ecstasy, again, is like three novellas, yeah. right? It's three stories. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like... You know, they, you, you mentioned those anthology movies that you and I are fans of, like the old Hammer ones and the old Amicus uh, anthology horror, like, Asi- like Asylum, for example. But yeah. the, the thing is, it's those stories, although it's like three or four or five different stories, they're sort of held together with like a common narrative. Like a, a, Asylum is, is a Robert Powell uh, going around the asylum interviewing yeah. the patients and then telling their stories where... Uh, Apart from a sort of callback by Ewan Bremner in the last story, there's nothing really to connect these stories. So a narratively speaking, you know, they're connected in the sense that Irvin Welsh has written them all and his, his... star as a writer was on the rise because Chainspotting had been a massive success but they narratively nothing connects the stories together really no which is which you know which I don't know it's just it's just it's just a really strange sort of choice for a film I mean I, I think I think probably a lot of movies got made in the UK in the kind of mid to late 90s that when you look back, you're like, sort of, really? And it all sort of comes off the back of the success of Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm. Because they essentially just, like, boosted the, a sort of ailing British film industry to, like, to suddenly have an international releases again. Um, whereas before, like, for a long time in the sort of 80s, British films only really got shown in Britain. Mm. Or maybe, like, in Europe, you know, and they wouldn't get so much attention from Hollywood. Maybe the odd one would slip through and like, then Four Weddings came out 1994 and suddenly it was a it was a going concern again and you know you got film for you got the national lottery funding you got the glasgow film fund and stuff in scotland and like all these films are getting made and i just don't think that i mean it's sort of amazing in a good way that a film like the acid house exists i think as much as i found it hard to watch the fact that people got behind it and made it it's got a great cast that we'll come to talk about is you know it is brilliant but I just think that these days, they you wouldn't. They, I don't, would film four give a give somebody a, a, some producers a few million pounds to make a film where somebody gets turned into a fly after meeting God, or like a a baby and a fucking bampot like swap bodies. I just I just don't. <laughs> I just don't think it would. Uh, I just don't think it would happen anymore. And, and maybe you know, maybe that's maybe the, like the the film industry is all the poorer for it. You know, like not 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 every film can be brilliant, right? Yeah, but then technically, you could say now a lot of it is the shift is to TV, and you could see some of these stories yeah. working on like a Black Mirror or yeah, Inside that's Number Nine yeah. type thing. Not yeah. as extreme, of course. In terms mm. of you know, Black Mirror is, is very much focused more on the kind of technology and and you know th- things going wrong apparently and um, yeah. so so maybe not um, especially not the second one um, yeah, yeah. Um, but you could see this working like I say as a, as a TV kind of series with with a, a couple of extra stories from the Acid House thrown in for example yeah. you know because I, I say I went back and read a couple of the the other stories and I'm kind of like well but how how can you stretch them out 
really in terms of mm. making them into because one of the the ones i really liked was um disney matter which is when the guy goes to disneyland with his wife and <laughs> yeah. kid smacks the guy versus the bear <laughs> Yeah, and it's he's the, sort of, he's he's because he's he's sort of recounting it, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Uh, it's just a beautiful light, you know. In terms of I, you know, saved a lot of money, took out to Disneyland, I'll be fucking eating McCain oven chips for the next six months. But you know, <laughs> yeah. at least I got to take the bear into Disneyland. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, right? Let's let's delve in to the first of the three chapters i think mm-hmm. it probably makes sense to speak about them individually and then we can we can cross over and speak about the the, the film as a whole as well so the the first story is the grant and star cause and it stars yeah. bob played by steve mccall who's having a shitty day he's been kicked yeah. off the football team his parents want him out the house his girlfriend has dumped him because uh, she's met a real man he gets arrested for smashing up a phone box what else does this have in store for bob well he finds out when he meets god in the pub <laughs> and, and gets turned into a fly so <laughs> steve mccall the star of the first part and i, I thought interesting that they it came up on the because uh, he was last in the credits when you were mm. having the opening credits and it said introducing steve mccall yeah and i wonder if this was because this was filmed probably a couple of years prior because in 1998 when this came out steve mccall actually had four films come out well he was in the crow road in 96 um yeah. and then did i dick which is a short but he was in sorry it was one two three he had five films out in 1998 my name is joe <laughs> uh a yeah. film called postmortem the acid house orphans and rushmore and yeah. also in that year the young person's guide to becoming a rock star. What a fucking <laughs> year for Stephen McCall. That is insane. Yeah. He gets to work with fucking Bill Murray, Peter Mullen, twice, because yeah. on My Name is Joe and Orphans, um, and Morris Roves in the Astaires. <laughs> Not a bad year. And Wes Anderson as yeah, well. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and and Brian Cox is in Rushmore, oh, right? Yeah, yeah, of course he is. Yeah. It's Fuck. a fucking belter. That counts as Scottish film. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe. I mean, that's his most successful year, perhaps, you know, Mm. like in terms of high profile um, stuff, but arguably gave his fledgling career a massive kickstart. But I I think when people, I think when people make a, made their film debuts, even if they'd been on TV, it would, back in those days, it would still say introducing because it was a film debut, you know, maybe, I don't know. So he plays Bob. The, the main character in the Grant and Star cause. And he's quite a, a put-down-upon guy. He's 23. Um, mm. he's, he plays for the, the football team. He's not very good. He gets kicked off the team and, and goes home. And his parents are about to enter a dangerous phase in their lives. <laughs> And his dad comes out with, you know, great, you know, they're trying to kick him out of the house. He's saying, you're 23. People will think you're some sort of queer fella still living <laughs> yeah. with, your, uh, with your parents. And um, yeah, I mean, Alex Howden, of course, playing Bob Senior. We'll Brilliant. talk a bit more about him later, but fucking hell, what a role. Um, but yeah, Bob's just really having a shite day, isn't he? Put down upon him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, you know, it comes back to... What I said, you know, like about Irvin Welsh, like when he's walking down the road, having sort of fallen out with his mates, and he's talking about moving in with Evelyn, his girlfriend, played by Jenny McCrindle, making her second, her second culture swally appearance. His inner monologue is being spoken out loud. He's mm. like, yeah, I'll, I'll get a place with Evelyn, wake up, to, like, wake up to a blowjob every day, strip, strips washed every week. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Um, and it's like you know they they people don't behave that way. You know they don't like they don't they walk they don't walk around mouthing what they're like talking what they're thinking about. <laughs> even if they even if had a even if they are having a sort of shitty time. Um, and then of course everyone else appears as the sort of uh, changing rooms. Mm. Oh, he's he's credited as Parky. Um, so I guess he's supposed to be the sort of park keeper, but he's you know he's he's running a mop around the changing rooms while the while the Grant and Star Football Club are getting ready to play football by drinking cans of lager. And <laughs> I see, he, um, he usually does get a little cameo in in most of his films. Does that make Irvin Welsh the Scottish Stan Lee mm. in terms of uh, he doesn't pop up in everything? I, I don't mm. think he was in filth. Um, I, I think mm. I did read mm. he was meant to be and it got cut out. Um, right, but it does pop up in you know, most of the other yeah things that he's done. Yeah, yeah. maybe. But yeah, I mean, the, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like people we've had on the Swally before, like on the Granton team. Yeah, you know, you got famously Gary Sweeney who plays uh, Sloan in Small Faces. But, like I thought in Small Faces he was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I, remember, I remember seeing it when the film was relatively new and thinking he's going to be fucking massive. Mm. And never really, it's not, it's never really sort of happened for him. You know, he's he's done been on Take the High Road. He's in this uh, Valhalla Rising, this sort of Viking thing. That's the most recent thing he's done. I gotta be honest, in this, like in that that first bit, in the in the Grant and Star cause, the Edinburgh accents. Because a lot of the people, like Stephen McCall's not from Edinburgh, Gary Sweeney's not from Edinburgh, um, Simon Weir, the Simon Weir plays Tambo, is not from Edinburgh. Mm. So it, it almost feels like they're taking the piss out of an Edinburgh <laughs> accent. Do you know what I mean? Because it's it's so pronounced. Yeah. You know, that sort of, that kind of rising tone is there, you know, there's, you know, it's a saying sentences and stuff and A and Ken and everything and it's you know it's like it does feel like they're taking the piss listen mate this isn't really easy to say it's just that we all agree we can't guarantee our game anymore hey you see it's all about depth of pool ball we've got Tumbo and Ganty now this team's gone places man gone places gone places Churches League Division 3 it's a kickaboo you pretentious cunt a fucking kickaboo! You're about to be disappointed, mate. Disappointed? Too fucking right I'm disappointed. Which cunt washes his trips nearly every week, then, eh? Did he pull it up, man? Have another pint, eh? Stick your fucking pint up your ass. Some mates use, eh? Well, fuck you! And I, I mean, they don't hold back, and I did read a couple of online reviews of people saying I could not understand a word of this film um, <laughs> and there was no subtitles or apparently if you rent it on Amazon Prime there are scenes where it literally just comes up as a subtitle inaudible because <laughs> whoever was doing the subtitles couldn't even work out what they were saying. Now I just gave up. understood every word perfectly because obviously Scottish and you know I, I understood it because I'm tuned into Irvin Welsh's I've read enough of his yeah. books and stuff I know what they're saying but yeah, a lot of people were like, I, I I can't remember what it was. One review was like, yeah, I lost it when he turned into a fly. Um, I didn't understand a word of it after that, but I enjoyed it. Um, you know, and I guess you don't really, a lot of the time, you maybe don't need the words. You can kind of work out what's going on just through the visuals yeah. of, of the film. But you would miss out on some amazing lines. But yeah, they were kind of ramping it up a little bit, I think, in terms of the accents. Yeah. Did you uh, spot the, the wonderful bit? I think it's near the start when it's, it is just after, as you've said, when Bob is dropped off the football team and he's walking and he's speaking to himself and he walks <laughs> past this gra- bit of graffiti that just says, Cheryl's hole smells of fish. <laughs> 
camera kind of lingers on it for a second. Yeah. They just burst out laughing. <laughs> so literal yeah yeah Yeah. what i did like in what they do when he goes to see his parents and they're telling him that they're about to enter the dangerous phase and they've just bought a video camera i thought that was quite well done in that they put the camera down and you can see bob in the tv as bob senior is telling him that he's got a couple of weeks to get out yeah i mean there's 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 good moments I mean, to be honest, I think of the of the three stories. The first one might be the it might be the strongest, maybe, and just mm. you know. But you know, it's obviously based on to some extent on like Frank Kafka. Yeah, not not the guy who owns the designer clothes shop in Aberdeen. But <laughs> the- <laughs> it's the third episode in a row. <laughs> If they're still going, they do have some fucking advertising <laughs> revenue, I'll tell you that. Right, it, 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 it's kind of based on his uh, metamorphosis. Um, and so, you know, Bob's, as a result of his own sort of attitude to life, you know, he's a bit lazy, he's got a shit job, he's not much of a boyfriend and everything else. You know, God punishes him by turning him into a fly. And his first, his first, uh, his, well, his only actions as a fly is to take brutal revenge on the people that have wronged him. Now, mainly his boss who fired him and Evelyn and his girlfriend who is now shagging Tambo, one of his teammates. But is that not because God effectively said to him, you know, you had the power to do this. You just couldn't be bothered. And that's why, because as he's committing the kind of acts of revenge, he's playing... Yeah. God's words in his mind in terms of so he's he is extracting his his revenge on them he's using the powers that God has given him as this fly to to take a get retribution on them I mean right let's just talk about Morris Roves as God Jesus Christ yeah. just brilliant and some of the I mean the whole speeches that he gives as as God is just fucking amazing did you know uh, originally it was offered to Sean Connery and, I did read that yeah. I think that's true I, I think that's true I don't know I mean I hope it is I would I would love to have seen that but I think Maurice Rose is just wonderful in the role though I, I can't imagine Big Tam saying you're claimed cunt <laughs> <laughs> You're right, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're very yeah. right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just the... It, it, I mean, every second word out of his mouth is cunt or you know, <laughs> fuck. And it's... Uh, and, but hey, we now know God drinks 80 shilling. So mm. it's uh, yeah, beautiful to see in terms of that. Yeah. But yeah, just his first line, you know, oh, you fucked this one up, you daft cunt. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the interaction between the two is just beautiful. That uh, that kind of banter they have back and forth. Uh, uh, yeah, that's probably one of the best scenes in the, the yeah, entire film. For sure. And it's sort of arch Irvin Welsh, like making this contention that God also sees himself as a bit of a malingerer, lazy bastard and is kind of disgusted by his own sort of ineptitude and his own sort of laziness that he dis- but when he sees that behaviour in Bob he decides to punish him and, mm. as he, and as he says himself I can't punish myself kind of so you know I mean <laughs> summed up beautifully by the line you know that cunt Nietzsche said I was wide of the mark when he said I was deed I'm no deed I just didn't give a fuck I gave you the place I made you cunts in my own image you just get on with it you fucking well sort of good That cunt Nietzsche was weighed by the mark when he said that I was deed. I'm no deed. I just didn't give a fuck. 
Um, but yeah, but, beautiful. But, yeah, but the thing, like, you know, I, I, I know that, because I read it myself too, that a lot of, uh, yeah, that, that that particular contention in the film upset a lot of religious groups. But you, it could, I mean, that very scene itself could start quite a, a sort of intellectual, philosophical debate, which arguably we're not famous for on this rally, <laughs> right? <laughs> But you know the but the the whole contention that you know that God has given the world to humans who have made an absolute fucking arse of it, and he's just like, well, you guys have fucked it. Hmm. You know, it's for me. It's for me to do. You know, I, I I can't punish myself because I'm immortal. Hmm. So uh, you know, you guys have to just go on with it. You know, and they, and that you know, they, I'm sure. I'm sure that debate has been had by people who have never seen the acid house. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's more summed up with you know I made use cunts in my own image. You's got on with it. You's fucking well sorted out. I've done all I can. Like fucking get yeah. on with it. And Bob, Bob even says that you know the thing that probably anybody would say if they were to meet God, if God exists, he says, "What about like murderers and rapists and dictators and everything? What about them? Why are you punishing me? Why are you not punishing them?" He says, "Well, I, I might get rid of them eventually. <laughs> I might not. I might not." <laughs> It's sort of like, you know, if, if I mean, I guess it's probably the, for, for anybody who believes in God and, and perhaps thinks to themselves, well, I don't understand why God's not doing more about these terrible things that are happening in the world. It's probably the last answer that they'd want to have from their gods, you know, fucking hell, I might sort it out, I might not, you fucking sort it out, you know. <laughs> I guess, as we've said, Bob takes his revenge on, on everyone. Now, there's two things that left to talk about. Let's let's go with this one first. Um, there's a lot of nudity and, and sex in this film. Yeah. And we get to see Evelyn and Tambo having sex. Now, you know, for the most part, and I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I thought a lot of the sex scenes and some of the nudity was necessary to help the storyline progress, if that makes sense. So yeah. I, I, I genuinely think you needed to see Evelyn and Tambo shagging because Bob as the fly needs to see that to take his revenge by putting dog shit in their curry which they've just left on yeah. the, the bed stand yeah. did we need and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it but did we need the scene of Jenny McCrindle as Evelyn getting ready like and I, I enjoyed the scene and now not for the reason you're probably going to think because <laughs> it, it was very enjoyable but I liked the, the outfit she wore because it was just like bang I'm back in fucking 1997 yeah 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 in terms yeah. of the that skirt and the trainers and the top and I was like holy shit it's just like being transported back was that yeah. really necessary to, or was that a bit gratuitous in terms of, was it needed? I mean, McGregor could have shown her getting ready without showing her, like, her breasts yeah. and everything. You know what I mean? Like, it, you know, I get, you know, he, he's, he's trying to present her as kind of young, a kind of young woman who's, you know, who's got a lust for life <laughs> and wants to, you know, aha, and wants to get out and about and whatever else. Um, I don't think he had to show her, you don't think he had to like shoot her naked or with her, with like her top off or whatever, like mm. he did. Um, I mean, I didn't realise, you know, I saw Jenny McCrindle's name come up. And when I think about the other things that she's been, obviously, like in, uh, looking after Jojo, it's kind of the part of Evelyn in this, it didn't really need an actress 
of the ability and magnitude of Jenny McCrindle because she's got nothing to do. Mm. They, 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 the only emotional scene is when she's given Bobby's marching orders. Yeah. You know, otherwise it's basically just her with her clothes off. Um, either, or kind of putting her clothes on or naked again in bed with Tambo and it's like well you know like it's I mean I suppose for her she, she probably took it because it was a film role and everything else but uh, I just I thought she was she kind of wasted a wee bit yeah, you know completely agree with you on that completely yeah. agree with you she would have probably been better suited to a, a role in the third part yeah, potentially yeah. where you're getting to see a bit more however that's not taking anything away from um, the actress in the third part as well who, um, which we'll, we'll come on to um, right I guess we just need to get on to it um, what Bob's mum and dad got up to once they've kicked <laughs> him out the house um, <laughs> out, outrageous honestly I've forgotten <laughs> about that scene but so that's outrageous Bob comes in as a fly to visit his mum and dad and his mum is pegging his dad up against the <laughs> fireplace asking him who he's been seeing he's been seeing Dolly Parton Anna Ford <laughs> and that Madonna but just the once um, she's she's right up to the hilt with the with the dildo that she's she's pegging him with and then um, she's going to shite in his mouth <laughs> which <laughs> And good on Alex Howden because the the level of conviction when he's crying, don't shite in my mouth, don't shite in my mouth, <laughs> yeah, shite in my mouth. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> just dreadful. Really and, and then the phone goes, and it's Bob's sister on the phone, and just the the way the mum just unclips herself from the strap on and goes over and answers the phone as Bob Senior yeah. is there, arms on the wall, sweating profusely. Um, yeah. With uh, yeah, but the, the dildo still on his backside. Well, that's a, that's a thing. You, it's a thing. It's just this, like, it, like it's like, not lingering by any sense of the words, but neither is it really fleeting. <laughs> so it's. Right, the base of this fucking dildo just like <laughs> between his arse cheeks when she goes to answer the phone. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, I, I, I watched this so like yesterday, and this rarely happens, but I, I, I had what we would call growing up in Glasgow an empty in the sense that I had the house to myself. It didn't happen all that often. So I thought, perfect opportunity to watch the Acid House. I, don't, I can watch it on the telly. I don't have to watch it like on my laptop or something like, you know, I can watch it on the TV, whatever. And uh, and I was just, I was so glad. <laughs> so glad that I was nobody in. I was like, <laughs> I mean, and the thing was like, even if my wife, even if it had just been me and Paula in the house, I still would have felt a bit uncomfortable because, like, what the fuck is this you're watching? Do you know what I mean? I could just imagine, yeah, her in the kitchen and just hearing you watching something. Shite in my mouth. <laughs> oh, get it off, my man, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> it's the view of the interaction between them two. It's just so great. And it just makes it yeah. so funny um, of the, the ridiculousness of the situation. Yeah, yeah. But you can imagine Bob sees upset uh, seeing this and then, of course, gets swatted by the newspaper. And um, as Bob. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they leave it kind of, um, well, I think you see the fly kind of die. Um, so yeah. when you see Bob there naked the next morning, you are meant to presume he's dead. In the yeah. the book, because I, I did read um, this um, 
one again as well. And it does say that they come down in the morning and find him. It's actually under the sideboard because he swats the fly yeah. and it goes down the sideboard. Um, so he's lodged under it, but they, they call an ambulance, but he dies of massive internal injuries <laughs> because <laughs> being swatted with a newspaper, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, 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 clo- the close-up scenes where they act with the fly... I actually thought were quite well done, and yeah. it's, it's especially that particular moment when she whacks him with the newspaper, and we see him bounce off the carpet and the dust mm. coming up off the carpet and stuff as he rolls along. Um, I thought Stephen McCall could have tried a bit harder at presenting a sort of mangled body. He looks like <laughs> fucking Mork. It looks like the way Morkham and Wise used to leave the stage when he's, you know, what I mean, one hand behind their back and one hand. <laughs> Morgan Wiles used to dance off and the curtains were closed on him. Um, <laughs> who is your favourite man trapped in a fly's body? Would you say it's Bob, Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, or Vincent Price in the original Fly, or Eric Stoltz in The Fly 2? Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I think it's probably Brundle Fly up until the moment he takes his, co- <laughs> he takes his cock off. And puts it in the bathroom cabinet, you know. It, it looks it, it it looks like quite good fun up until he has that big long sort of chest hair that he pulls that Gina Davis pulls out or whatever. You know, like that's you know that was the moment in that film when you realise that he's definitely fucked it. <laughs> So I guess the Grant and Star cause is very surreal in terms of God turning mm. Bob into a fly. And we'll come on to part three, the acid house, which is also very surreal. Yeah. The second part, which I think it obviously is in the middle of those two, a soft touch, which is Johnny, played by Kevin McKidd. He meets pregnant Katrina, played by Michelle Gomez, uh, in the pub. A couple of months later, they're married, uh, and then they're living well, in a... a couple sh- months later- Happens earlier they're married because it's a flashback, right? Yes, you're right, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I should say, sorry. Um, They end up getting married. They have the kid, which isn't Johnny's, um, and they're living in a shabby apartment. But when their new neighbour, Larry, is moving in above them and Katrina is falling back into old habits, Johnny finds out that married life isn't what he thought it would be. So Mm. I think this is the most... It's a kitchen sink drama effectively yeah, yeah. and this is yeah. uh, I read a lot as I say of online reviews and a lot of people said this or The Ast House was their favourite out of the, the three um, pretty right. much not, nobody I read picked Grant and Star Cause as their favourite um, right. this is fucking difficult to watch Yeah, it's great I really enjoyed it as because it's it's realistic and it's it's I can kind of not relate to it, but you know what I mean. It's it's but it's fucking uncomfortable to watch it at times and in places. It's um it's horrific basically. Yeah, I mean, I think probably in terms of performances, I think Kevin McKidd's performance in this story is probably the best one in the film for me personally. You know, he's because he's I think the 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 scene that sums up how how well he understands the character of Johnny is when he's taking the baby out in the pram when Larry's moving in mm. and Larry's kind of blocking him with the boxes and stuff and he ends up saying, well, do you want a hand? Mm. And Larry's like, oh yeah, great. And he's, and he's fuck, you know, he's like, Phew. Whatever it is, yeah. he's taking the boxes in. And, you know, he's still trying to be kind of, you know, a fucking, well, I'll give you a hand, but don't expect this all the time and that kind of stuff and, mm. and that Larry's got the measure of him immediately you know oh I mean Larry's just a fucking evil bastard though of course yeah so 
we got yeah Katrina Michelle Gomez who is a whore basically um and yeah, yeah is is pregnant uh, married in fact is it established is it his kid it's not his kid is it because it, you see the, not really them getting married no it's not because yeah. you have the conversation with the guys at the table um and they're all mm. saying yeah it's lucky you'll get the like child services on your it's not it's the CSS or something or um, looking for child support because obviously they're insinuating the kid might be his or it could be anyone's because yeah. everyone was having a go yeah. on her apparently that night. So but yeah, has the kid and then she's just kind of going back into her, her own ways. I mean, it coincides Larry moving in and then he gives her 20 bar to go yeah. for a night out. Um, and it's impressive drunk acting from Michelle Gomez because she's like fucking yeah. hammered when she comes back in. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah, and, th- and this was, is, is this... So I was going to ask you, because her name appears in the credits after Steve McCall's, we have the introducing, I guess this would be her film debut as well. Maybe not like her on-screen debut, but like her film debut, maybe? That is a very good point, actually. Um, Potentially. It could Mm. be. Yes, it is. She'd been in... um, She was in a TV movie, and then uh, she was in the Tales of Parahandy for one episode in 94. And this was indeed her film debut. Yeah. In right, 1998, okay. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so her, Gary McCormick, and Stephen McCall mm. all making their film debuts. Yeah. Two of those actors have done quite well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, she's a, a, a fucking horrible, grubby character in terms of, yeah. you know, she's an absolute bitch. She's got no care and consideration for her kids. But she's fucking brilliant in this as well, though. She's great. Yeah, she's... Go, she's like going a hundred miles an hour for sure. You know, she's um, I like you know the. I always think like Michelle Gomez is she's a very striking, attractive woman. Mm. You know what I mean? But very, very striking features. And I always think like when when people like that agree to because like when we see her at the start of the sequence when she's pregnant again, her hair is all wank and like unwashed and stuff. Her skin's all kind of fallow and grey and stuff like that. That, you know, like I always think, like when when actually like her are willing to because like to see her normally with no makeup on, she's probably as gorgeous as she is when she's made up and on the screen. Mm. But to allow herself to be completely made down mm. for that scene, and then and you know the sex scenes that she does <laughs> with Larry as well. I mean, they're fucking horrible yeah. and degre- and degrading. For her character particularly. And and she fucking just goes for it. And yeah. like, when you think of the stuff that she's done since, I mean, she's been on Doctor Who. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? She's done all this. She's done touches. She does a voice on like, the 101 Dalmatians uh, cartoon. She plays Quella Deville. Um, she's done like tons of stuff since since this. And, it's, and you always wonder... Like sometimes sort of shittier newspapers and things like to dredge up stuff that actors or actresses have done early in their career, you know, especially if they become very successful. I mean, like the famous one was Stallone, who had done some sort of soft porn <laughs> yes. film, hadn't he, like in the yeah. 70s, and he's yeah. basically in the... And he's in the shower washing his cock or something like that, and um, and it, you know that came back to haunt him a bit after he found fame with like Rocky and the stuff he did afterwards. And this has never never come back to Michelle Gomez, even when she did the Green Wing and everything else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean the fact she's she's just like so just goes for it and it's, she's really good in it. I think the um, I mean you don't need to worry about the sex scenes because as Larry says, the pole is well greased as he um, <laughs> <laughs> is, is going at it. 
I love the it's just the natural chemistry between the three of them and, and, and there's only like two scenes I think where you have the three of them in it and one is yeah. when um, unfortunately Johnny's getting his fucking head kicked in but even yeah. that I'll come back to that in terms of Katrina's the, the abuse she's given him is just yeah. incredible but when they're sat on the sofa when Johnny comes home and Larry and Katrina are there and he's asking her about you know the hush whispers of you don't even can fit the Baron's got on today and it's the yeah. Cerise and yeah. you know who's Cerise and it was it like you can't even spell pink and Michelle go was like P.I. ink or something <laughs> it's just it's just the the natural kind of the the uncomfortableness you feel in that scene but the way they're yeah. all acting and then of course when Larry's just like Bruce Willis get die harder you're yeah. kind of you know you're like you fucking arsehole but then as you say Johnny's like well what can he do he's just put upon he's like he, yeah. he doesn't have the balls to stand up to Larry in this instance he knows exactly what's going on but yeah. he just doesn't have the, the balls to do it hey well, I'm going to read this for you darling eh? oh this what colour clothes she wearing today eh what colour clothes she wearing do you think any fucking notice what Cerise the... Cerise <laughs> Cerise it was fucking pink eh hey Right, eh? Johnny, I was watching that, man. Eh? Sorry, man. Eh? Hey, pink, right? Fucking pink. Right, no, Cerise. Pink. 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 Right? No, Cerise. Aye. Fucking pink. You got that? Right. Fine. Who's Cerise? Who's Cerise? Who's that? It's a, a colour, eh? It's pink. Right? It's a colour. Aye. Right? Yeah, and that scene that you mentioned there when she sort of lures them into the clothes and then they both set about them. Do you know what I mean? It's not just like... Mm. Like Barry obviously gives it to him a lot worse, but then, but she's, you know, she's, a, she's like, she's kind of beat them up as well and all that, and you know, there's nothing they can do. It's and everyone's, everyone's sort of hanging out their windows watching. Nobody's, nobody's moving to intervene, you know, and you, it's established that they, no one looks surprised when they're looking out the window. They, you know what I mean? It's just, it's like, well, this sort of thing happens in the neighbourhood all the time. No one's looking out the window looking horrified or anything. You know, and as she's kicking him, she's screaming, and maybe a spoiler for later on, bluter that bastard, kill the fucking cunt, you fucking knob, he's got our fucking electricity, he's got my fucking burn, go back to your ma, lick your ma's fucking piss flaps, you fucking cunt. <laughs> Again, I mean, but that, I mean, that is like, is taken right out of... Irving Welsh's books, because that's yeah. the sort of stuff he has his character say. Well, I went and you reread, know? yeah, A Soft Touch, and that is word for word exactly what is <laughs> said in the book. <laughs> yeah, because Irving uh, Welsh, right, he wrote the script for this, right? Yeah, he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was three threatening, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And it's a shame because obviously Larry takes over. They, um, Katrina and Larry move upstairs. They take his TV. They take his video. <laughs> they take his electricity. You know, that, the whole yeah. scene of Larry putting a sledgehammer through the, the ceiling to put the cord down. And that's again, Larry nearly, you know, goes for him, but he, uh, sorry, Johnny nearly goes for him, but he can't. And then he just has enough and kind of snaps, boards up, mm. gets a kick in. And then, you know, he's getting his life back on track. He's working at the supermarket, stocking up the iron brew and stuff. He's flirting yeah. with a, you know, a girl who looks a lot nicer than yeah. than Katrina. You know, she looks lovely and, and they seem to be getting on well. So, you know, it's a... But I guess Johnny just can't help himself because... It, it, he, just can't, he just can't resist that bandit in the in the Bull and Bush. The Bull and Bush. It's, it's a good bandit. <laughs> Good bandit. <laughs> yeah. That was a good bandit. I agree with you though. <laughs> Kevin McKidd's performance is just absolutely brilliant in this. He's just so good as put down upon. He's got his little rat's tash 
type thing. Yeah. You know? um, little boysy. It's uh, yeah, but he's just uh, you know put upon. And of course, Alison Peoples playing his mum um mm. as well with a you know a couple of good scenes with her and the interaction and you can tell what she thinks of Katrina but yeah yeah um a really difficult 35 minutes to watch i i enjoyed it because of the performances because they are all mm. great in terms of you know Michelle Gomez and even you know Larry he's fucking fantastic as well um yeah of course, I could have done without seeing his cock quite so much in terms of <laughs> when he's dancing to uh, to T Rex <laughs> hot to Hot yeah. Love by T Rex. But it's what it is. I think it's needed for the character, and of course, you're getting to see him doing his push-ups and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think overall, very well acted, very well done, but yep. very uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's not. It's yeah. It's fucking. It's fucking not nice at all. Um, you know, just I. I seen anybody just anybody just who can't who just surrenders to a shitty situation. You know, we've seen. You know, we've seen people. We've known people over the years. I'm sure you and I who not to that extent, but people here who you just like just fucking walk away. You know what yeah. I mean? Just leave it alone. Um, although I did question why Larry is showing like a baby postman pat videos. Can't even show you your postman pat video. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, just fucking, she's not even, she's six months old, I don't think she's a fucking bit posted back. <laughs> That's just some colours and stuff on in the background. It's better than making her watch Die Harder, I suppose. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so. so I guess the, the third part of the Acid House is the the Acid House, which yeah. uh, features Coco fucking Bryce, uh, played by Ewan Bremner, who takes some acid in the pub. Um, he has a bit of a bad trip. He flees outside into a thunderstorm, gets hit by lightning, which triggers a strange phenomenon and puts him in the body of Martin Clunes and Gemma Redgrave's baby boy, Tom. <laughs> now, where to start with this? Um, uh, Ewan Bremner turning it up to 11 as Coco fucking Bryce. Uh, Coco and Kirsty, lovely young couple. They're obviously into their, their rave music and yeah. enjoying stuff he uh they're in the pub he's drinking his hooch and he takes a a super mario <laughs> i could only presume they couldn't get the the licensing rights to super mario because it's more like a devil's face but they still mention it's it a super mario i think that's a safe assumption yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah there's a lightning storm and basically he gets transported into the body of a newborn baby um so let's let's talk that <laughs> Let's talk a bit about Ewan Bremner because, you know, I think there's always going to be a big Spud-sized place in our hearts for Ewan Bremner because his portrayal of Spud Mm. is so close to the book. Mm -hmm. And even before, you know, before I saw the film, you know, Ewan uh, Ewan Bremner wasn't a million miles away in his physical appearance from how I envisioned Spud. Mm when I read the book for the first time. You know, when I saw him as Spud, it just made total sense. But, I'd, and, you know, he seems like a nice fella, but I just, you know, in the, in creation stories and this and, like, some of the other stuff he's done, I don't know, it's, especially in this, it, it doesn't, like, it does not come across like a fucking top boy mm. in a Hibs firm at all. You know what I mean? He's just he's he's a slight he's a slight guy. I don't know. I just I just found it difficult to. It, it was better when he was doing the voice of the baby, yeah. And and when he was playing the sort of the kind of infantilized Coco, who's like a essentially an adult baby, fucking brilliant. 
at that, you know what I mean? Excellent. But as Coco, it's a hard sell, you know? I completely agree with you. I think when he's in the hospital bed screaming and being the baby and grabbing his friends, and he's he's brilliant um, as portraying a a baby kind of trapped in a man's body. As the voice of the baby, he's fucking brilliant. He's got genuinely some of the the most laugh out lines, um, laugh out loud lines. You mentioned it earlier when they're in the the park and he sees a fly and he goes, Bob, that's Bob Coyle. I just burst out laughing. (laughs) And of course, when he's getting breastfed and he's like, geese your paps. Um, And shut it, you specky cunt. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, however, I agree. I don't believe Bob Coyle as this top boy, hard man, Hibs, mm. you know, crew. Um, one of the the kind of main, you know, he's yeah. when he's speaking as the baby, and he's like, "Ah, well, you know, we'll go in the away end, you know, and start swedging." But it's not till <laughs> after the match that you know the real stuff happens. You're like, I, I don't believe that for a second. You're a wee kind of wiry guy. You're you've got it good with this Kirsty. You know, she seems to really love yeah. you. She's just a very nice girl. Again, maybe. Maybe this would have been a better role for Jenny McCrindle to play, possibly. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, But she, uh, you know, seems to to really like him. And I guess Coco's had a a bad childhood, as we see, with his dad, Morris Roves, asking for 20 fucking regal. Um, (laughs) A very surreal seed. Christ, Morris Roves was fucking built like a brick shithouse, even, you know, back in the day. Like, you know, he's a, a big lad. Yeah, it's not, it wasn't Mo, that's like, the actor's name's Doug Eady, but he does look a lot like Morris Roves. Oh, I thought that was Morris Roves. I did as well. I was sure it was him. And so I looked him up and I was like, oh, it's uh, it's not, but he looks he looks just like him. Yeah. You know, I could, I, I get why you, I get why you would have thought it was him. Oh, who was he? Oh, he was just a drunk. Uh, no. Who was he? It was the priest, of course, sorry. It was the priest, the yeah, the priest. yeah. Oh, I thought that was yeah, Morris yeah. I genuinely did think that was him. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know if I believe him as this, yeah, hard nutcase that he's he's portrayed mm. to be. He's a, he's a raver. He goes out and takes LSD. Yeah. He's, he's talking about uh, resurrection, sorry. He's talking about yeah, resurrection yeah, yeah. and, you know, how Ingleson Market was going to be like, you know, 20,000 or something. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's a big hips boy. I, I just didn't believe him as this football hooligan. No, definitely not. Um, Arlene Cockburn on the other hand who plays Kirsty is I thought was really good yeah. and she she is rocking those 90s fashions yeah the, the little you know the little short skirt trainers t-shirt little uh, sort of tank girl kind of bunchies and yep. stuff you know, yeah, little rucksack, like backpack yeah, type yeah. thing. Yeah, I, that was one thing. You know, we touched upon it earlier with uh, in terms of the first suit with Jenny McCrindle and her fashion. I thought exactly yeah. the same for this with Kirsty. It was very much kind of that peak, you know, ninety seven, ninety eight kind of fashion um, that brought back a lot of memories for me. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Jenna Redgrave. So they more recently, she's she's been quite famous for being in Doctor Who. Um, and uh, she looks great in this. I mean, I know she's mm. like she's a lot younger. She's she's really good. Martin yeah. Clunes. I'm kind of su- I'm sort of surprised to see Martin Clunes in there because th- this is kind of peak men behaving badly time. Yeah. And I could live. I could have lived to have been 200 years old and been quite happy never to see Martin Clunes' sex face. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I can, I can go with you on that. I mean, it does lead to a very good scene in terms of where uh, Coco, as the baby, Bob is is watching them have sex, yeah. um, and and then he has a wank. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I could agree with you on that. And of course, but then Rory's meant to come across as a bit of a, a posh arsehole. Um, and, and I think, you know, Jen sees that because she wants to take Tom away uh, from it because she, she blames him effectively for, for Tom stroke Coco drinking a, a couple of sips out of a miniature <laughs> bottle of Glenmorangie that was almost finished anyway yeah yeah when, where does she want to take him like Chisholm or somewhere like that yeah Chigwell, Chisholm yeah. yeah Manchester Chisholm. just outside Manchester yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's when he starts talking to her um, and she's quite you know, she's not disturbed at all by the fact that her baby is, is talking to her and I'd say she's slightly disturbed but she's not disturbed by the language he comes out with because every second word is fuck or <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she, but she she seems to be okay with that. The the puppet of the baby, though. I mean, I know it's different times. I suppose I suppose they would probably figure it out in CGI now if they were going to do it, but uh, it doesn't look real. No, I mean at it, all. it doesn't. But then I do wonder if they maybe did that on purpose because they were kind of. I wonder if they tried to make it look real and they were realising that like we can't do this, so they were like, right, fuck it, yeah. let's just make it look like it's like we're taking the piss almost, right? Um, because it's yeah, it's nothing. I mean, it looks better than the baby from Train Spotting, which crawls well, on the ceiling. Say, which it's gonna be a, it's like a tribute to Baby Dawn. I did wonder because that's you know a horrific looking baby, but surely yeah. you've got better uh, dolls. Fucking nineteen eighty four, um, eighty four Child's Play. Was that eighty six? You know, that's a better looking fucking doll than the one yeah. that they've got here. They they could have probably got something better, but I wonder if they did that on purpose. But it kind of works. Like, I didn't... I, instantly, I was like, oh, it's an ugly-looking baby. But I, it didn't take me out of it completely, thinking, oh, it's just... I, I'm not believing that this baby is, um, you know, it's wanting a bit, a bit more of tit <laughs> or asking why is... What is it about posh cunts and fucking parks? You know, I'm not really yeah. <laughs> believing that point. So uh, it didn't take me out of it, so to speak. Yeah, I don't know. I just... I mean... Of, of the three, they probably enjoyed this one the least. Mm. And, I th- and I think it's a combination of Ewan Bremner in the, in the beginning of it and the, and the kind of rubber baby, you know. And I don't know, I mean, I know, I know he's not a Scottish actor, but never really been a massive fan of Martin Clunes. Do you know what I mean? And the stuff I've seen him in. Like, I, I used to watch Ben Behaving Badly, as we all did. Yeah. Like, in the kind of mid, in the mid-90s, you know. But, I don't know, like, I didn't really watch... I, I always preferred Neil Morrissey's character mm. to to Martin Clunes' character in Ben Behaving Badly. You know what I mean? I just, I just yeah. felt he was a bit fucking... A bit kind of simpering, you know. And, and he's a bit like that in this as well, you know. He's just yeah. sort of kind of, you know, kind of put upon to some extent a bit posh, a bit annoying. You know, even his wife finds him a bit tiresome, you know, before she finds the little miniature that he's dropped in the baby's cot and stuff, you know. And I don't know, it just... And and that whole sequence actually seemed a a little bit weird because she's gone from being... Like, I think in the book... In the story, in the book, if I remember it right, it does it does uh, build the sort of breakup of their relationship a lot more. 
and the reasons behind it and stuff and the kind of jealousy that he has for baby Tom. But she, she sort of goes from finding him a bit sort of tiresome and annoying to wait, we're, we're just going to leave, we're just going to leave him. Yeah. But you never, but you never see his reaction to the act to the course of action that she decides to take. No, you don't you know, see him again, it, do you? After that's a, yeah, that. at all. You know, so it's like, well, you know. What's it, why would you get somebody like Martin Clunes in for it when you could have really had you could have got anybody really you know but no like I, I, I felt like the last story was the kind of weakest I mean it's got good moments but yeah I thought the first two stories I thought were better I would agree with you and as I say I think a lot of the, the reviews I read online a lot of people said that the this third one was their favourite and mm. I did not agree like I liked it it was okay I thought the as you say the funniest parts are really some of Ewan Bremner's lines when he's the baby definitely the Bob Coyle part but otherwise I, yeah I kind of done without it there was too much Coco fucking Bryce you know clips of Hibs casuals yeah. and, and raves and stuff that I could have I kind of could have done without so yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of this um, third part Definitely. No, no like I definitely found my. I mean, when it finished, I was like, "Oh, thank fuck!" You know, I'm glad it's <laughs> glad it's over because the film itself isn't. It, the film is only like a, it's like it's just over ninety minutes, right? Maybe like a hundred minutes. It's not. It's mm. not a particularly long film. Um, but by the time uh, by the time this one this last story was about halfway through, I was like, "Fucking hell!" So I'm looking at my watch and kind of kind of wanting this to be over. <laughs> you know. And I think again, even comparing it. It was compared to Train Spotting quite a lot because of, of mm. course, Irvin Welsh. Yeah. Even the soundtrack. The soundtrack is quite good. It's got Primal Scream, yeah. Edge Cave, Oasis, Bentley Rhythm Ace. Remember them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the soundtrack is excellent. Uh, you know, Beth Orton, Bell and Sebastian, T Rex, yeah. Arab Strap, Chemical Brothers. Um, it's not as good as Train Spotting's soundtrack, though, is it? So it's like another no. kind of tick of it's good, but it's not as good as Train Spotting. Yeah. It's maybe it's maybe got more for the the sort of serious music aficionado you could say mm. maybe than maybe than Chainspot and Had, you know, Chainspot and Scott, like Damon Albarn on there, it's got Sleeper yeah. who were who were big at the time, you yeah. know, and Bright uh, Brian Eno and The Scream obviously appearing, Chainspotting as well. But yeah, the, the, the soundtrack is very, very good. And you're, you've reminded me to go and um, get the playlist from the soundtrack and, mm. and, put, and, 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 and sort of chip it off iTunes because it, it was a good soundtrack. So we've had quite a few, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of Irvin Welsh adaptations in Trainspotting, The Ast House, Ecstasy, Filth. Porno was made in T2. We've got Crime, mm. and hopefully the Blade Artist is coming soon. I know it's still in kind yep. of pre-production. Is there anything else that hasn't been done you would like to see made into a film or TV series? I've always liked the idea of doing a TV series of um, Skag Boys. You know the the sort of, the, the, the the kind of young characters from Trainspotting, and because yeah. I, I I really enjoyed the book. I think I've read it maybe three maybe as many as four times since it came out in 2012 uh so yeah it would be good to see and you know and i think there's a there's a case for doing a tv series of train spotting i think as well they and not to take anything away from the film i think i think the film can exist as well but the thing that i always found frustrating with the film was that i wanted to spend more time with the characters and the film moves quickly mm. and it's only it's only 90 minutes and yeah. it's done so when when the, and it's, maybe that's the mark of a good film sort of leaving you wanting more but i just think the characters are so engaging 
you know, even even a character like Begbie, who is the last sort of person you'd want to spend any time with, but he's engaging and you want to see what he's going to do and how he's going to react to things. Mm. Um, and and I think how they're portrayed in the first train spotting film compared to T two, I did it as much as I enjoyed T two. It didn't leave me wanting to spend more time with the characters in the same way that Train Spotting did. So it would be good to have a TV series of it where they they, they flesh out the characters more than they're able to do in the film, and you learn mm. you know that more about. Renton and his disabled brother Stevie and more about Billy and more about the sick boy and his sisters and his Italian sort of shagger dads and everything (laughs) I think would be I think it would be good you know, um, I would enjoy it. I, I would. I'd like to see. Well, I don't. I'm saying I'd enjoy it. I might not enjoy it. I might not do it very well. But I would like to see it on the screen. What about you? Which Which one would you like to see that you haven't seen already? You know, what? I agree with you on that. I'd, I would love to see an adaptation of Skag Boys. Um, mm. I, I don't particularly want to see a train spotting TV series. However, right, because those characters are so iconic. You know, in terms yeah. of recasting stuff, I'm not ready for that yet. I don't want to see anyone else play Begbie, apart from Robert Carlyle. However, if they did Skag Boys as a kind of young, then mm. went into yeah. a train spotting, kind of like a This Is England type thing, then mm-hmm. I could live with that. But that leads to what I would actually love to see made into a TV series along the way of kind of This Is England is Glue. It's glue. I'd yeah, love to see for that. Robert Glue. I would. Yeah. I would love to see that because it's you know one of the best. However, what I would really love to see is a decent ride made into a film. But that <laughs> yeah. would have to be like a Confessions of a Window Cleaner type film <laughs> with Robin yeah. Asquith. Like, I mean, there's no way you could make a decent ride into a film. But I just I want to see Juice no. Terry on screen. I just want to <laughs> yeah. see him pop up in like series two of Crime somewhere in the background, even if he's just running away in a taxi or something. I just <laughs> yeah, I yeah. want to see Juice Terry on screen. <laughs> Yeah, no, I've I've, I've forgotten about Glue. Uh, I mean, I I think Glue is probably my favourite book of Irvin Welsh's, and that, you know, I, I I could read, I could, I've read it probably more than any other one, apart from maybe Train Spotting. But I do understand where you're coming from with Train Spotting, and I think I think it's because you know Train Spotting was such a sort of cultural uh, sort of it's just like a sort of cultural behemoth for our generation. Yeah, when it came out, you know what I mean. But I was. I was 17 when I saw Train Spotting at the cinema when it came out and when I read the book. You know, I, I turned 18 later that year, but you th- when you think about your life at that time, you know, you're just on the sort of threshold of becoming an adult. You're, you're, go- you're sort of behaving in a lot of ways like an adult. You're going to the pub, probably doing things that you know you shouldn't be doing. Chances are you're probably still living at home at the same time. Do you know what I mean? But still, it's such a, you, you know, you're, you're really transitioning when you're about to leave school, you're about to go to college or start work or go to university or whatever. So something like Trainspot, and then be, and because it's set in Scotland with Scottish actors, and it was and it was massive. I mean, like Trainspot was fucking massive, huge when it came, you know when it came out. And I think it's easy to forget that because it's you know it's like 27 years ago or something now so i totally understand you know it would be difficult to imagine another actor playing begbie at the age that he is in train spotting you know in the age of robert carlyle was in train spotting and and later on t2 and I, I know you're coming from it's 100%. just going to feel like a parody whoever does it like and yeah. no matter who does it no matter how great they are it's always going to feel like a parody and i think we covered this on when we did t2 Available wherever you get your podcasts, but T Two isn't a a great film. But I I think the reason I I love it, and I think you really enjoyed it as well. It's it's for nostalgia because every time Mm. I see those guys back on screen playing those characters.
characters, I just I'm just transported back to 1996 watching Trainspotting. Yeah, and yeah. every time I see Begbie on screen and just the interactions between Mark and Simon, you know that scene where fucking Mark walks into Simon's pub and yeah. sees him for the first time. Oh my fucking god! I could yeah. watch that scene over and over again. Yeah, just Simon's reaction, just the you know long time Mark. Where have you been? Yeah. What have you been up to That's for it. twenty yeah. years? What have you been up to <laughs> for twenty years? Yeah. That's yeah. it. It's just oh God. The chills yeah. of that. And you know, that'll never um get taken away in terms of you know, yeah, say T yeah. two has its faults. Um but oh, it, for that reason that, love it. Everything that those actors did between uh, the release of Chainspotting and the release of T two like, to varying levels of success, but certainly Hugh McGregor, Johnny Lee Miller and Robert Carlyle have done a lot of very high-profile stuff, mm. you know, and, and for them to come back together as those characters for that sequel mm. all those years later, like 20 years later, is it's special. You know what I mean? It's really special. I think the reason that I would like to see Skag Boys as far as Begbie goes is because in Skag Boys, Begbie... The character is, you know, he's not quite gone full fucking nutcase. Yeah. You know, like he does over the course of the story. But, you know, there's there's still I've, there's still elements of, like, the young guy, a, bit, a little bit of sensitivity here and there. The elements of actually being a good mate as opposed to what Begbie believes is a good mate and why he's a great mate and, like, train spotting and stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he is actually, in some cases, a decent good friend to the other guys. Mm, yeah. As much as they're wary of him, because he, he is, you know, he's still a violent guy, you know, like it's, that would be an interesting sort of development to see on the screen. But you'd have to have a phenomenal actor and not somebody who's just trying to do an impression of Robert Carlyle. Yeah. You know? No, I agree. And that's where I think you could, you would um, come a cropper. But yeah. Ah, uh, oh, fuck, I really want to read Skag Boys again now. I think that's what I'm going to read next. <laughs> now you've put that in my head. Um, yeah, I just read it. I just read it like last year or the year before uh, we read it. It's really good. Okay. Well, um, anything else on the Acid House? Because we've just spoken about train spotting for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> so yeah. I guess that tells you what we think about the Acid House. I have to say, uh, Paul McGuigan, the director, I mean, Scottish director, um, obviously he did Gangster Number One. He did mm. Lucky Number. 11 which is a film i mm. love i i really yeah. like that film and he did a great film um which isn't very well known and the only reason i watched it is because the postal service which is a band um the the All lead right. singer of death cab for cutie ben gibbard has a side project called the postal service with this other guy right and they do it's kind of like a it's kind of like experimental indie and they did a, a cover of phil collins against all odds which is genuinely mm-hmm. one of my favorite covers of all time this cover I, I, I love Against All Odds, but this cover is amazing. And it was on this film called Wicker Park, which stars right. Josh Hartnett and Rose Byrne, which was directed by Paul McGuigan. Um, and it's a really... I've not, not seen it. It's, yeah, it's a weird film. It's about this guy who meets this girl, kind of falls in love, and then she goes missing, and then her roommate kind of... It, it's it's a weird film. Um, right. But it's quite good. But yeah, I mean, he's, you know, done quite a few decent films. I'd say Lucky Number 11. Mm. I, I really like that film. I like that film too, yeah. Uh, and he's, he's done quite a lot of stuff on TV as well. Mm. He's sort of directed an episode of uh, the Dracula series that was on. He's done a couple of Sherlock's. He must be friends with Stephen Moffat, um, mm. who is the producer on those shows. Um, yeah, but I, I think I, f- I feel like he was maybe under a bit of pressure to, yeah. like I said earlier on, to emulate some of the style of Chainspotting in this film. So I guess that covers us on Irving Welsh, probably 
until we do crime season two unless because the only yeah. thing we've got left to do is ecstasy which as we've said is nothing to do yeah. and it's fucking shite that film as well yeah, it's fucking i don't want to do that all right. Right. <laughs> right so <laughs> the the next urban welsh we will cover will be season two of crime whenever that comes yeah out. uh but right yeah. um shall we put the acid house through the swally awards i think we should so the first category is the bobby the barman award for the best pub in the film now i am right in that it's a different pub that Bob and the football team drink in, and then Bob meets Gordon. That is a different pub, isn't it? Because the puggy's in a different I, place. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't notice it for that like detail that you've clearly <laughs> got into there. But it did feel like a different. It, I my choice was actually the pub that Bob meets Gordon. Like the pub yeah. after the pub after the game felt a bit sort of Yates Wine Lodge I was just about to say it felt a bit Weatherspoonsy. so we're kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. I don't want to go to the pub that Coco drinks in it's too hibs for my uh, yeah. liking so yeah the, the windows the, the yeah. pub that Bob meets God in definitely that would be my choice too so there we go Belton, we have a yeah. winner there yep and then the, the next one I mean fuck me you could have any number of people here but the James Cosmo award for being an everything Scottish who did you who did you pick I picked Barbara Rafferty purely because oh. She has 46 entries on IMDb, right. and every single one of them is Scottish. I went through every single entry she's in, and and that's just included. I mean, like, Rabsy Nesbitt is one entry, where she's been in fucking mm. nine seasons of it. Um, yeah. Every single thing Barbara Rafferty has been in is Scottish, so I gave it to her. What about you? That's a good shout. So... I was going to choose Ken Anderson, mm. but then I realised that Ken Anderson's not in it. <laughs> It's an actor called Stuart Preston, <laughs> who is not dissimilar in appearance to Ken Anderson. True. He plays uh, Bob. He plays Bob's boss, yeah. um, Rafferty. Um, but oh, I, th- I thought I thought there was quite a strong case for Morris Roves. Yeah, but I don't think it's as strong as the case you've just pre- you've just presented for Baba Rafferty. So mm. we'll give it we'll give it to Babs. I mean, there's a case for Stephen McCall because I would say mm. he is currently in second place in the Swally Tally right now. On 10 appearances, he's tied with Peter Mullen, but Alex Norton is still in front with 13 appearances. <laughs> so, little swally tally I mean, update there for you. I mean, perhaps the most surprising thing about the Acid House is that Alex Norton doesn't appear somewhere. <laughs> That's a good point, actually. That's a very good point. Must have been busy that day. He'd have been doing yeah. Tagger at this time, wasn't he? Yeah, it might have been, actually. Yeah. Maybe away in his holidays. Okay, next one then. The Again, not a no small amount of choices for this one but the Hugh McGregor award for gratuitous nudity fucking take your pick Um, I mean there's a lot of sex scenes Mm. in terms of gratuitous I would probably give it to either the scene we talked about earlier Jenny McCrindle getting Mm. dressed or Larry hot love getting his cock out to hot love I think I'll give it to Larry actually (laughs) yeah yeah Larry needs to buy a shower curtain because that that bathroom (laughs) that uh that bathroom floor would have been soaking after the. <laughs> okay, next then, the Francis Begbie Award for gratuitous swearing. Let's give it to Irvin Welsh for writing the script. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, did you. Is that your pick, Irvin Welsh? I mean, I, no. I went with pretty much the whole God speech to Bob, but yeah. I also did give it to Michelle Gomez's rant, which I recited earlier. What about you? I. 
I, well, I picked part of the God monologue. I picked the "You're claimed cunt" just because the term "You're claimed," uh, you know, when they if someone says that to somebody that they're about to set about, I just think is I've always thought is really funny. <laughs> no one's no one's ever said it to me, thankfully, <laughs> but um, before they've beat me up. But uh, but yeah, but yeah, "You're claimed cunt" because he, he says it twice. Yeah, <laughs> you know. He says it, and then it seems like Bob might have uh, might have sort of dissuaded him, and then he comes back and just says it again. You know? Now you fucking claim, Drudge. But I'm not the worst. What about the murderers, serial killers, dictators, torturers, politicians, cunts that shut down factories to preserve their profit levels? Oh, they greedy rich bastards. What about they, me? Might get round to they cunts. Might not. That's my fucking business. Your claim, cunt. You're a piece of slime coil, an insect. Um, okay, next then, the Jake McQuillan Your Tease Out Award. Who did you, what did you go for here? Now, Tease Out, because this often, this is kind of more of an act of kind of, you deserve that, isn't it? Or, yeah. yeah well, or just someone I, getting a I, kick in. I, I, for me, I've always sort of based it on act, like act of a, violence. An, an, an abrupt act of violence, you know? I mean, the abrupt act of violence is poor Johnny getting a kick in from Katrina and Larry. But yep. I would say T-Zoot, if that's a kind of McCafferty or T-Zoot, as in yeah. you're get, a way to get what you deserve, then it's Johnny slapping Katrina in the face just before he gets a kick in from Katrina and Larry. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I think there's also a case for Tam Dean Burns' assault on the, the young guy for talking about his sister at the wedding yeah, as well. But yeah. then, you know, you know, just in terms of how, how it plays out you know, I don't think anybody deserves anything, any violence that happens to them in this film, apart from maybe, to your point, Katrina getting a wee bit of a slap for the way that she's just been horrendous to Johnny. But then, you know, he shouldn't have really hit a lassie, mate, you know? Well, but then you could say, I mean, if you're going down that route, then maybe Bob Sr. deserves all the pain for seeing <laughs> Dolly Parton, Anna Ford, <laughs> and that Madonna, just the ones like, shite your mum. <laughs> Once again, so glad that I was home alone watching that (laughs) film. Right, moving on before we get into trouble. Um, Archetypal Scottish moment. God drinking 80 shilling. Mick, Mick God having a pint in the a pint of eighty shillings. Either that, or just the I, whole language, you know, just the, the every the, when you hear like a cope or that's pure Barry. It just uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, God drinking eighty shillings. Would you go with? Well, I uh, well, I went for something a bit more romantic. Um, my uh, so the scene where Johnny goes to see his mum. She's sitting outside. She's sitting on the green outside mm-hmm. the tenement. Mm-hmm. And she's, you know, because the sun's out, she's got the baby there in the blanket with the with like an umbrella keeping the sun off the baby and stuff. Like, my granny used to live in a tenement. And she, on a, on a nice day, her and her neighbours would go down and sit on the green. Mm. And I just thought, it just seems like a really Scottish thing yeah. to me, that, you know, to do that. Oh, no, I like that. I prefer that. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to everybody calling everybody else a cunt for 90 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, and then the last one then, what's who's uh, who do you think won the film? Um, I think we kind of spoke about this earlier i mean i 
Morris Roves as God is brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. Michelle Gomez, I think, is fantastic. But it's Kevin McKidd for me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, I had Kevin McKidd. I've written here, Kevin McKidd for his performance, although somebody should have maybe showed him how to hold a baby because he's fucking <laughs> the ways holding that baby. I mean, oh my God, the mother must have been having kittens watching them. Um, I think there's a case for 90s fashion. <laughs> yes, there. true, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, coming back to what I said earlier, I think there's a case for Irvin Welsh because mm. what I said earlier, I mean, it is the mo- it is the truest uh, sort of version of his work that I think has ever been on the screen, you know? Yeah, you're right. Um because as we say, like, well, obviously, train spotting was a little bit toned down. Then we had this. And then, say, we had ecstasy and nothing really till filth. And even filth is pretty... I mean, filth is fucking horrific film. But I don't, I don't yeah. mean it's horrific. It's a fucking brilliant film. But yeah. it's it's brutal. But it, even that's pretty toned down from the book. Yeah, right? massively. So, yeah, I would say you're probably right. Because this is disgusting yeah. in terms of this film. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, you're right. This probably is the yeah. most truest adaptation you'll get to uh to Irvin yeah. Welsh ever because I can't see them ever making anything like this ever again no no definitely not definitely not I mean in the, in the, you know in the other books of his you know even if they made Skag Boys into a TV series I think there's elements of that book that would be left out yeah. and probably for good reason you know yeah and as I say I think the only chance I'm ever going to get to see a decent ride in film format is if the the good people at Brazzers or Bang Bus make it. <laughs> bang, to be bang, bang Brothers. Is, is Bang Brothers still going? I don't know. It's been a long time since I've heard yeah. that. Pornhub, <laughs> Pornhub presents. Uh, it's probably not far off, sorry. mate, to be honest. Uh, okay, well, that was the wonderful world of the Acid House. And that was my choice, Greg. So it's your choice on the Swally next episode. So why don't you tell us what we're going to be talking about next time? Well, um, you know, you and I have been doing this podcast for quite a long time now. And I think that we've become pretty good at it. Um, I think we're getting pretty good <laughs> right. podcasters. So I'm going to link back to something that I mentioned earlier in the podcast. So a lot of things. Things are celebrating at their 40th anniversaries in 1983. You know, like the Return of the Jedi, uh, the only Star Wars film I ever saw at the cinema, the only one that I was old enough to see at the cinema, is going through its 40th anniversary. You can go and see it at the cinema uh, now, right now. You could go and book text to go and see it. Um, <laughs> local local hero, uh, a favourite of ours, celebrating its 40th anniversary. But I think, you know, you and I are both very emotionally connected to the city of Aberdeen. You're obviously from there. You're a big fan of Aberdeen Football Club. I spent a lot of formative years there. Also a big place in my heart. It's the 40th anniversary of Aberdeen winning the European Cup. And the BBC have got a fantastic documentary called Once in a Lifetime. And it's all big moustaches, unlikely looking by modern day standards, football geniuses. (laughs) So I would like to watch and review the BBC documentary Aberdeen 83 once in a lifetime. I can't believe you've actually picked it. I know you threatened to on the, the <laughs> chat. Can I just point out, by the way, we we didn't win the European Cup. It was the European Cup Winners' Cup, um, Sorry. which is a different trophy because <laughs> the European Cup is now the Champions League. That's a, a very different trophy that we we never actually oh. won. Um, I, wow, I can't believe you've actually picked that. I can't wait to talk about that because I, I yeah. obviously I watched it uh, last week when it came out. And now I'm going to have to watch it again to to make yeah. notes for the podcast and probably cry all over again because um, <laughs> I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, um, yeah, I'll be honest, listeners, if you want to listen to the next episode, um, 
I'm, I won't hold back. I'll be as, as biased and uh, gushing as I probably am. <laughs> wow, I can't believe you picked that, Greg. Thank you very much. We're probably not going to have any Swally Awards because there wasn't any gratuitous nudity. Maybe a couple of fouls um, for the Great McQuillan Award. But um, but yeah, maybe a slightly a slight alteration to the format next time. Yeah, yeah I don't I think, think I, I, there's probably some swearing. A couple of tease outs. I don't think there's any nudities. Probably <laughs> a few Scottish moments. I don't know about it being everything Scottish. We'll see. Yeah. yeah, James Cosmo didn't play for the 1983 Aberdeen uh, lineup. <laughs> no, he didn't, unfortunately. But uh, yeah. look at him, maybe. No, we didn't need him. We didn't fucking need him. I wonder if European Cup was cut. Beat Real Madrid. <laughs> Still last yeah. time, last team to beat Real Madrid in a European Cup final. Um, but we'll come all to that in the next episode. Yeah. That's going to be a very uh, Nicky-centric episode. Thanks very much for picking <laughs> that, Greg. All right. Well, uh, and of course, that is available on YouTube as well, if anyone wants to watch it before the next episode. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to get in touch with us with anything you'd like us to review or any news stories you'd like us to cover, then you can get in touch with us by emailing us on cultureswally at gmail.com. And please follow us on the socials at cultureswallypod or on Twitter at swallypod. And please, wherever you get your podcasts, if it's on Apple, please give us a little rating, review, subscription. It helps the podcast grow. And remember, dollickskateboards.com to claim your 15% off with the code SWALLY. And Greg, we have a lovely, wonderful website as well, don't we? We do indeed. Uh, You can find us at cultureswally.com. Um, links to all the episodes um, we'll put a link on there too to the Doric Skateboards uh, website so you can go and avail the offer and uh, check out Gary's gear yeah that's it magic well cool cool fucking Bryce what are you up to the rest of the day Greg <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to have my dinner in a minute um, and uh, yeah maybe an early night try and shake off this bastard of a cold have a couple more cans of this uh, delicious crude public drunken sailor IPA other IPAs are available um and yeah, get an early night, I think. What about you? Uh, well, of course, I'm going to probably go and subject my wife to watching Aberdeen <laughs> 83 once in a lifetime. <laughs> it's about time she saw just exactly yeah. what Aberdeen has to offer. Um, and I'll tell the story in the next episode of when I took her to her first Aberdeen game and her only Aberdeen game, probably. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Okay, well, uh, I will look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks, Greg. Until next time. Until next time. You fucked this one up, you daft cunt. Hey, What? You, Bob Coyle. Nae hoose, nae job, nae bud, nae mates, police records, sell ribs on the space of a few hours. <laughs> nice one. How the fuck do you care in my business, eh? What the fuck's it got to do with you, eh? It's my fucking business to know. I'm God. <laughs> Where the fuck, you old Raj? Fucking hell, another wise country.